how's uh how was life treating you that we have soccer again actual soccer we can watch on actual tv it was really fun being on the tdik uh bundesliga watch party if you will uh via yeah. Zoom. everyone got to see my murder den and uh Murder, um, then. Yeah, I mean, murdery. for those that haven't seen my my zoom setup uh, i have lots of wood paneling and and i was working on replacing a uh a ball chain switch and uh in my in my overhead light fixture and so a ball gag switch yeah no no you stop hearing what you want to hear david <laughs> you're, you're not invited okay I feel like not getting invited to a murder den is a good I, thing. Yeah, totally fine with that. Totally fine with that. <laughs> I didn't watch a lot of Dexter, but I feel like, you know, there's a bunch <laughs> of characters that would have survived if they just not accepted an invitation. Live from the Twin Cities. We are the Daves you know. This is the Daves I know. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to. But we both know I can't do nothing at all. to watch some real live soccer um gentlemen how uh, how was your weeks and how was your weekend it was good i uh i mean i obviously missed soccer i sort of knew that but it was i was amazed at this almost the relief i felt on saturday having the game on it just kind of felt like things were normal weekend sort of falling back into place but even more than that uh yeah it was really good to see everybody on the the zoom i think one of the things that uh this enforced break from soccer has a uh, enforced for me is just how much of my love of soccer is my love of the soccer community mm-hmm. like, it was great watching the games on sunday and again today but man just having people to watch with even though it didn't as a nominal and growing dortmund fan i sort of had a rooting interest in the first game but not really um just just having everybody around it, it really makes a huge difference and uh yeah i think that's something that i'll I'll be more conscientious of when things get back to whatever normal's going to look like. Yeah, for sure. I think the fun part of that is like just some of the random conversations that sort of cropping cropped up while people were on the zoom chat, watching the game. Like it would kind of was like, if you were at the black card watching um, and just having like all of a sudden, like there's a random conversation about something totally unrelated to soccer that three or four people are having and other people are sort of focused on the game. And um, so I thought that was pretty cool. MJ, how was, uh, how was your weekend? It was great. It was also great to be on the zoom. And uh, I uh, tried out a couple new recipes and uh, still working on some bicycles. So, you know, cool. yeah. Yeah, the Zoom, the Zoom was great. And um, I think we're going to do it again. Um, or at least that's the plan. Um, I, there is a, uh, I'm going to look up what the schedule is, but I think there's another Dortmund match uh, on Saturday. I think it's another, another big. Um, there's a huge Berlin Derby coming up. Yeah, I think that's two. Maybe that's this weekend or maybe that's next weekend. No, I think that is this weekend. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, so it was uh, it was it was a blast. And what I'll do is I'm just gonna probably send it out to everybody who was at the most recent one, and then do another sort of sign up. Uh, um, we had about ten people. Uh, I think we had thirteen at one point. So okay, yeah. it was it was a good. Oh yeah, Wolfsburg and Dortmund are playing this weekend. Um, That'll be good. Bayern and it's Bayern and Frankfurt is the is the eleven thirty game. Uh, but uh, Munchen Gladbach and Leverkusen is also at eight thirty, so that would be a really good game too. Um, yeah, so I think we'll I think we're gonna do it again. Um, the uh, Dortmund uh, Dortmund Bayern match is on the day after uh, is on Tuesday the twenty sixth. Uh, it's a it's a eleven thirty during the during the day game, just kind of for us at least, which is kind of kind of blows. Uh, but we'll we will see. So, anyways, um, so yeah, so keep your eyes out if you're interested in, in joining in on that. Um, you can uh, hit us up, uh, sort of slide slide into our DMs. I can get you on the list. Um, otherwise, yeah, I might just actually like I, you can create like a Mailchimp for or whatever for like free. Um, so uh, probably just do something like that. But anyways, um, so yeah, please join us. Uh, Part of that we can do that is because we have some really awesome Patreons. Um, Patreon.com backslash the days I know uh, to help support the days that you know. Um, so yeah, uh, if you're interested, haven't got involved in that, um, please do that as well. All right, so we had actually had some. In addition to some actual soccer, we had some other um, some other soccer news related to leagues coming back, including MLS. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, so yeah, so let's uh, let's kick it off. Uh, first thing I'll just note. Um, we're going to talk about Bundesliga and we're going to talk about the, the K league um, as well. So, uh, so yeah, so FIFA announced they're going to pick the 2023 uh, world cup um, site in about a month uh, in literally in, in uh, late June. Um, right now it's between Brazil, Japan, Colombia, and then there's a joint bid from uh, Australia and New Zealand. And this will be the first women's world cup, or w- first women's world cup that will feature 32 teams. So um, the men's world cup has had 32 teams for a while uh and we'll be upping that number uh <laughs> very soon um this will be the first to have 32 teams for the for the women's side um i know there was a big to do about that um related to you know how bad some of those teams looked um but you really you obviously need to play competitive matches to get better as we've seen so yeah you guys have any thoughts on that if there, is there a particular country of those four or I guess technically five countries that you'd be interested in seeing uh, a World Cup in? If you if you could go, I mean, assuming we can travel in 2023. <laughs> yeah, the first thing that came to mind was, you know, multi-country bids have gotten more and more popular. That's what uh, Euro 2020 was supposed to be this year and theoretically will be next year. Um, but man, you sort of wonder if, if there isn't a, a functional vaccine at that time, God forbid, if all of a sudden those multi-country bids will become less popular just because the, the travel becomes a little bit unwieldy. But assuming all goes to whatever resembles a plan that we have right now and things are pretty well back to normal by 2023, if it's in uh, New Zealand and Australia, I would find it really hard not to go to that. Uh, Japan would be my, my number two. Uh, Colombia would be really interesting. Uh, some, some pretty high altitude venues there could pose an interesting challenge. Um, Brazil obviously has the infrastructure, but I think that's a little bit less interesting. Although time zone wise, that would be pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Brazil, 
uh, in Colombia, both time zone wise would be, would be great. Uh, after seeing an Olympics and in a, a men's world cup in Brazil, I would like to see it go elsewhere. So Australia, New Zealand would, would be my number one pick as well. I will say this, those that complain about the USA, Thailand running up the score and like, there's not enough parity in women's soccer. I'll just hark back to something David said in order to get better, the, you know, FIFA kind of develop, FIFA kind of divides countries into like established, you know, soccer, soccer countries, and then up and coming and then developing, right? In order for these developing countries to get better, or at least have an understanding of how the game is played at a higher level, they have to come and see it live, not, not just on television. And they have to come and talk, their coaches have to come and talk with other coaches from around the world. Their players need to talk with other players from around the world and they have to play at that level and lose, you know, to, to, to get better. So I think this is growing pains. I, yes, you could argue that some goal differentials are going to be so great that no one's really learning anything, but I think the experience matters a lot and you'll, we'll see how, how it goes with 32 teams. Yeah. Um, I'm selfishly, I would love to see it in South America. Cause I just, I just really want to travel to South America. So I'd be fine with Brazil or Colombia. Um, Ragnar would be four years old. That's perfect time to travel um, to a foreign country. Um, so, you know, all right. Um, and then before we jump into uh, the leagues that actually had soccer this weekend, um, we'll talk about um, uh, Premier League uh, very quickly and then MLS. Um, so the Premier League today, uh, the, the 20 uh, Premier League teams agreed to resume group training. Um, this is the next step uh, in getting the league started back up. First step was the individual training at clubs. Um, this next step is, you know, they're going to be in, I think it's groups of five or six, um, still maintaining social distancing, no contact, things like that. But they can at least pass the ball back and forth and, and you know, make some runs and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the next step will be full team contact training, which uh, um, is exactly what it's not. It's basically just like a regular practice. And their goal is still uh, June 12th. Um, but Dick Masters, um, whose name is actually Richard, I didn't realize it was like been talking about the Premier League for the last, what, two months. And I didn't realize the guy who runs the Premier League is named Dick Masters. Um, <laughs> technically Richard Masters, but we're going to call him Dick Masters uh, from now on. Um, he says, why not? He said that that date is flexible. Uh, obviously, uh, Raheem Sterling was on a, I think, a, or he had uh, Megan Rapino interviewed him on his YouTube channel or something over the weekend and basically said, you know, he would prefer at least a month to get ready. So what does that mean? Is it a month from when he, they started going to uh, the training facilities or is it a month once they start fully, you know, team contact training who the, who the hell knows so uh the you know i think obviously we'll talk a little bit about the Bundesliga in a, in a minute here but that being successful um certainly i think gives the premier league a lot of um a lot of hope in terms of getting getting things um up and running so do you guys have any thoughts on on that sort of what happened today and that timeline yeah i mean just two quick notes uh one the first step in the the Premier League coming back wasn't individual training. It was Jose Mourinho dragging two players out to a park and breaking <laughs> quarantine to practice with them. So, you know, sure. they're, they're in fully phase two now. Um, but two, I mean, I think, like, as, as much as this weekend seemed to go off without a hitch in Bundesliga, I guess I'd be a little bit cautious about calling it a success so far 
just by virtue of the fact that incubation, median incubation time for the virus is five days. So we don't know yet what it, you know, what yeah. it looks like. So I would say uh, success in that, like in like the actual, like the atmosphere, like the, they were able to do the things to get the matches to go off without any hitches. Fans didn't show up outside of stadiums. Yeah, for the most true. part, the teams did what they, you know, they didn't do the big group celebrations uh, with Hertha Berlin. Uh, that shit show being the one exception, obviously. Um, so that success in that respect. Obviously, if we find out that four guys in the Bundesliga all picked up COVID over the weekend, then that is a whole other, a whole other issue. But they showed, they showed the rest of like the world and like that it can be done um, with a lot of parameters, but it can be done. So I think that is that's why I, I would say success. So yeah, and that's totally fair. And I think one other thing that we'll probably touch on a little bit later, but we did not see a major injury rash. Obviously, Gio Reyna. Uh, popped up a little bit lame in training but that's unfortunately a thing that happens from time to time in soccer so I don't think that's necessarily layoff related um yeah I mean it was weird the the Bundesliga watching the the game it was it was most striking into me was the Union Berlin Bayern game it felt like that stadium set up so well for a really active engaged crowd and instead it was just strikingly quiet yeah um one other piece of one other piece of uh, Premier League news. Uh, apparently, Callum Hudson Odoi was arrested for rape this morning, uh, or morning in England time, um, at his apartment. So that's super super cool. Uh, he's nineteen and uh, uh, plays for Chelsea. So um, yeah, he's arrested over the weekend and then released on Monday morning. But uh, so there's not much known. But it popped up in my newsfeed and just really fucking shitty. <laughs> <laughs> you know so anyway yeah, that's never that's pretty, pretty awful yeah soccer and if you would, your heroes ladies and gentlemen boys and girls like do not um idolize athletes um he's, he was coming off a, a coronavirus recovery yeah he was like one of the first that tested positive for coronavirus in the in the premier league if i'm not mistaken so oh, i'd forgotten that but yeah you're right yeah um all right well, let's jump into what's what's Screw MLS, we'll do MLS later. Let's jump into Bundesliga. Let's actually talk about some, some actual soccer. Um, and let's start with uh, the first match, the match that we watched together with a bunch of other people. Um, it was the Revere, Reverie, not, sorry, Revere Derby. Um, I said it wrong on the podcast last week, and I got uh, ripped for it by my buddy, who's a big Dortmund fan. Anyway, <laughs> um, it's a big derby. It's probably the biggest derby in uh, – um, in Germany right now, uh, Borussia Dortmund and Schalke. Uh, Borussia Dortmund won that this match uh, for the first time in five years. They've had some draws, but they haven't actually gotten the better of Schalke in five years. They won four to nothing. Uh, and my note here is, woof, Schalke's defense was bad. Like, <laughs> really, really bad. So you talked about we didn't get injured, and, and I think that was the – we can talk about specifically about like the the actual um, atmosphere of the game, but um, I think they. Well, I was reading an article today, I think on ESPN, that basically the the German teams have had about ten days of practicing, uh, like full on team practice, um, and it showed for some of the games, and, and especially in some of the marking. Um, and you're right, Dan. It's great that no one got like majorly hurts um obviously there was a bunch of people pulled up you know had some tweaks and all that i think i mean they had the five subs as an as an option um i think only three of the 12 teams um on 
Saturday actually used all five subs. I'm not sure what that number was like on Saturday or on Sunday and today, but like not every team used their full allotment of subs, but clearly the, uh, the second half of those, a lot of those games looked um, way slower than the first half of the games. Yeah. A lot of teams came out really, really hot. Uh, Frankfurt apparently thought their game started maybe 45 minutes, an hour later. Uh, they got, they got buggy whipped. I think the first goal was at 37 seconds or something like that. But yeah, those first halves were, were very competitive. It reminded me partially because of the empty stadiums, but partially just because of the fitness level. It reminded me of a preseason game. Um, yeah. You saw flashes. You saw guys that were the, the people who can roll out of bed and score two goals. But most guys just looked a little bit fatigued. Erling Holland, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, Erling Holland is, is 19 at this point. If he can't run 90 minutes on very little notice, you know, kid, what are you doing? I can't. I'm 33, but there are definitely some players who look more like me than him. Well, but, surprise, surprise, <laughs> Erling Holland scored the first goal. So. Yeah. Yeah. I did like his bubble celebration. That was pretty solid. Yeah. His 84-game goalless drought, 84-day uh, goalless drought was uh, <laughs> very quickly. So let's, let's, um, so let's talk about the game first, and then, then we can talk a little bit about the, the actual, like, atmosphere and stuff. Um, this is supposed to be actually, uh, as you mentioned or alluded to, um, Gio Reyna was supposed to start this game, the 17-year-old son of Claudio Reyna. This is supposed to be his sort of like, you know, his big Bundesliga debut. Um, he was And he was in the lineup. He was starting, and I, I put a fun fact out that the original Dortmund starting lineup um, was 59 years old total. <laughs> like, between all three of them combined, was 59 years old. The oldest being uh, 23-year-old Julian Brandt. So... Um, take that for 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 what you will. Um, the 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 entire starting lineup was was younger than than I think all of our parents probably. I would safely assume um, that all of our parents yeah, are correct correct a bit older than yeah. uh, the combined ages of the, those three guys. So that was pretty cool. Um, anyways, he he pulled up in uh, in training, so he didn't get the start. And uh, Eden Hazard's uh, slightly uh, worse younger brother um, started Thorgan. Um, but anyways. Um, the game itself, uh, obviously, Dorman looked great. Uh, their uh, their keeper made some really great saves, um, and you know the Dorman's keeper is not necessarily known for his uh, great decision making, <laughs> to say <laughs> uh, the least. Um, but he uh, he's you know a very good reaction reaction keeper. Do you guys have any any other thoughts on the actual Dorman Schalke match itself proper uh, before we talk about the the actual like atmosphere stuff? Weston McKinney was a bright spot for, for Schalke. He, he was, yeah. He he made some good passes. He positioned well. Um, the rest of his team, not so much, you know, <laughs> uh, especially uh, – and also, both teams played a 3-4-3. That's a very popular uh, formation in Germany right now. Uh, we Some of us at the, at the watch party noticed. Yep. And commented on that, but yeah. You know, Dortmund is one of the teams – that may come out of the break a little bit better than everybody else. One, because of their, their young age, which we've touched on, but also they just have a bunch of incredibly rapid players. Uh, Their, their fullbacks were just flying all over the pitch. And if everyone else is a step or two slow, just because of fatigue or the layoff or whatever, that's really going to show against players um, like Hakimi who are just absolutely blazing fast. And, and I think that's basically what took Schalke out of the game. I mean, if they if they turned the ball over, whether it was in their half or in uh, in Dortmund, all of a sudden they just could not collapse back fast enough. Most of Dortmund's goals were 
Yeah. There's they, at least they, they felt like a hockey odd man rush, honestly. Yeah. There's at least two goals where the Schalke keeper like just made a poor decision and the ball was <laughs> within within a, a pass or two, and Dorman was like on like or a three break, and it and it ended poorly for for Schalke every every time. So I think that's gonna be important. Um, and we and, and we'll talk about Leipzig and Freiburg in a in a second here, but like teams that are able to actually capitalize on those chances of those odd man rushes and stuff will be the teams that will benefit most. And I think you're right, Dan. I think Dortmund is is. They're especially, um, they're especially good at that, and they have and they have a lot of attacking talent up front. So, um, I mean, like, literally, Jaden Sancho was on the bench and, and only played like twenty minutes in this game, and only played because he was also he picked up an injury um, in training, and he only came on because Thorgan Hazard picked up a knock uh, in like the seventieth minute or whatever. So, um, all right, so so let's talk about the, the actual game. Um, and the, and like the not having any fans in there and how weird that was for a while. Um, does any, do you guys have any specific thoughts about that you want to touch on first? One thing I hadn't noticed immediately until a friend texted and said, Hey, are you watching this? Pay, start paying attention to this is how damn loud the ball is when they, when they hit it, when guys are lining up strikes from outside the box or uh, when keepers are parrying the ball, you hear this just thunderous thud and all that gets soaked up within the crowd noise and once you start listening for that like those guys are kicking the shit out of that ball and i realized that's an extremely obvious thing to say about professional soccer players but it was really driven home in that game and then in the uh union berlin Bayern game i think because the uh surrounding this surrounding the stadium the buildings are very close and so not only were you hearing it you were also hearing the echo off of those brick buildings yeah I didn't notice it in the Bundesliga games, but in, in the K-League game, uh, there were there were some woodwork shots, you know, off the frame. And those also rung much more loudly because usually when you hear a, a, a shot, you have this huge crowd, oh, you know, because you came so close to scoring. And that takes away or it covers up a lot of the noise of the ball hit, hitting the, the, the frame. So. Yeah, no, for sure. Um the hearing the um i think it was the fourth goal for for Dortmund. um that was just a cage rattler was fucking great i mean i thought it was great that like to hear that and like um we were, i watched the uh, sc st Pauli match on delay last night with with some people and um hearing the ball uh hearing someone like kick the ball into the wall and just like the sound it makes when they hit somebody in the wall is just like gut-wrenching <laughs> there was there's actually a point where uh two guys went up for a ball and like their heads clash and you could hear like you know you always see it and look it, like it looks bad and you're like oh man that sucks actually hearing two dudes like heads crash together and the sound that that makes is makes you really like reevaluate and think like oh is this a sport that i really should be cheering like cheering for that or should we think about maybe making some changes to try and prevent that as much as we possibly can with like still keeping the integrity of the game. Um, I will say I didn't, so I, cause I was watching, so I was talking with everybody in the zoom chat. I didn't listen to that game. So the Dortmund game, um, but when I watched the, the Gladbach game and then the matches on uh, Sunday morning, um, I didn't notice um, apparently. So the, apparently it's very, it's particularly noticeable in the Dortmund game, like there's just a complete lack of crowd. Um, I don't know if, if um, for other matches, Fox had maybe turned like turned the sort of that sound down, so you didn't hear 
as much of that. Um, because uh, from what I understood from people that I talked to, like it was it was particularly evident in the Dortmund match, and not so much more, not so much during the Munchenklaback match, um, or uh, obviously I I noticed it in Berlin. I think maybe it's partly too just like um, uh, I just lost my train of thought on what I was gonna say. Anyways, um, so yeah, so so what do you think about uh, matches without without sound? without uh, crowd noise. Cause that's, that's a, the next step would be like pumping some crowd noise in either through the speakers of the stadium or as like sort of a, a, a feed into whatever Fox sports or BTA or, you know, or sky or whatever in the, in Europe. I think it's more honest and more authentic not to have the fans. I think piping in noise would be, it just feels weird. It's like a laugh track on a sitcom, right? Like, if you have to be prompted to laugh, it probably wasn't that funny. If yeah. you have to be prompted that this was an important event, you're probably not paying that close of attention to the game. Uh, so I'm definitely, definitely opposed to it. I mean, obviously it'd be great to get crowds back, but I'm just happy to have soccer back. So if my choice is don't play at all or play behind closed doors, close them doors. <laughs> Hell, Italy's been doing it for years, but that's on account of racism. True. I mean, the other thing I'll say is like I've watched plenty of like U seventeen World Cup matches, and there's like maybe twenty people in the stadium during those matches. Like, it's you don't hear you don't have the the same roaring crowd. So it's I think I think people sort of like I get it from maybe more of a of a European perspective of of like they just they're this is their thing, this is their football, right? This is their American football. Um, so they're maybe a little more uh, akin to it, and are a little more sort of upset with no fans but i don't know i think it's i think it's fine whatever mj you have anything to add certainly due to racism or fan violence penalizing fans for for you know violent behavior or for reasons of the globe that a lot of us just are so privileged we're not familiar with civil war you know there have been plenty of closed stadium games before you know, these are not the first, but uh, it does feel like something's missing. You know, I'm a very auditory person. You know, noises, uh, I, I really keen in on, on noises of the game, and it's definitely different. I agree with Dan. I would prefer not having a artificial crowd noises um, to, you know, piping them in, but you still miss it. Well, I guess the, so. The other thing too, uh, and then we'll sort of go through some of these games. If you have any thoughts specifically on them, um, we can talk about them. But four, was he one, two, three, four, five uh, of the uh, matches were won by the away teams. Um, only one home team actually won a match. That was Dortmund. Um, the other matches, the other three matches were were all draws. Um, so I mean, Union Berlin. Um, had beaten um, Dortmund at uh, in Berlin and beaten I think uh, Leipzig in Berlin earlier this year and they you know obviously hosted Bayern on Sunday and lost I think they played pretty admirably but so maybe that does lend a little more credence to uh, you know the home home field advantage or whatever that people like to talk about as not being a thing anymore and I know that's been a sort of a major um, a major discussion in Europe. Uh, with regards to scrapping the away goals rule, basically saying, oh, it's, you know, it's basically 
those elite teams, it's basically a 50-50 shot. And, and maybe, you know, Union Berlin and, and Bayern Munich are not on the same level in terms of being no. well. But, um, you know, clearly having that home crowd uh, certainly um, doesn't hurt you. And, and uh, so I think there's a, a lot of managers, stuff I read, were basically like, it's, it's yeah, there's a little more, um, it's a little more even. You know, obviously the home team knows their grounds better than the team that's traveling in but taking away that 12th man um, could be a factor. So I know this is true in the NBA and I, I would assume it extrapolates out, but one of the easiest ways to test for home field advantage is seeing the differential in fouls, fouls called home and away. And so once we start getting a little bit more data, I'll be interested to see if somebody analyzes that to see if the fouls are evening out a little bit. Uh, what did you guys think of the VAR break? That felt really long. Like, we complain yeah. about it all EPL season. Like, hey, these VAR checks are taking forever. But, man, when there's not even crowd noise, yeah. like, you're just watching these guys stand on the field in an empty stadium kind of waiting for this invisible hand and, to determine. And Bundesliga was the league that everybody looked to. It's like, hey, they have it. They do it right. You know, they, they're, they're quick and they get it done. And then, yeah, I think you're right. Without the crowd noise, without something to distract us, it was just like, all right, <laughs> cool. We're going to hang out here for a second. Then you're going to run over to the monitor and check it out. So, so MJ, sorry, you had something? Not having a full media crew for, like, instant replay or things like that. You know, like, usually during VAR, you know, they're, they're showing re replay. You know, sometimes they're showing replay during those moments. So, yeah, you just have this dead space. I was going to just comment on the uh, Union Berlin versus uh, Bayern München game that when I talked with my friend Conrad from East Berlin, he was, you know, he – it has a huge amount of pride in the supporters groups. And he said, you know, the, the top three, the top three supporter groups in no particular order, Dortmund, uh, Union Berlin and FC St. Pauli, you know, the, the, the fans are just known for getting rowdy and really helping their team. And that makes Union Berlin's home one of the more intimidating places to play with that reputation of their fans. And you take that away and, and just what David alluded to earlier, that, that they had relatively success at home against better teams, but now Union Berlin's playing, playing Bayern and, you know, maybe they still would have lost, but I, you know, it would have been much uh, more close, I think, if, if the fans were there. So. Yeah, on the topic of fans, what did you guys think of Dortmund after their win walking out to where the yellow wall would have been yeah. and, and clapping for the empty stand? I, I actually crazy. really liked it. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic, this acknowledgement of, like, we wish you were here. We, want, we know that you were supporting us. But, man, on social, a lot of people thought that was really weird. Dan, I like it too, but I'm going to call inconsistency because you're saying that you don't want fan noise in, pumped in. That that's artificial. But them going to the empty stands, which is absolutely meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. There are no fans there. You're saying that this means something. That's, that's fair. I'm willing, yeah, to be a, I'm willing to be a hypocrite to hold those two positions. That's fine with me. Yeah. Um, there was actually a really great uh, watching the, the FC. Saint, sorry, we're jumping around the FC St. Pauli match. There was a uh, a banner across uh, across the uh, pitch from where the cameras were, the opposite the camera side. That basically I can't remember exactly what it says in German, but it was like 
um, uh, fans are the life of football, um, which is really cool. So I think there's a lot of a lot of teams did something to acknowledge that. The other thing I'll mention from uh, from uh, Union is uh, that they're fucking almost their entire stadium is safe standing terraces, um, which is really cool. They're only I um, found out that they have they have seating. There's about three thousand seats, and they're on the side where the cameras are. So obviously, like you don't like every time you you scan the pitch, it's all safe standing terraces, um, which is I think really fucking cool uh, for a stadium. So uh, good on good on. Uh, Union Berlin for, for doing that. So, um, there, is there, is there any specific games that people want to chat about, uh, or, or mention? Um, I'm kind of bummed that the, uh, Berlin Derby coming up the, this Friday is Friday at 1 30 PM central. Um, kind of makes it harder for people that have normal work days to get together for that. So, Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Hartha and Union. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, so we're actually, we're, I, I'm thinking we might get to do a, another Zoom uh, speakeasy thing Saturday morning because, um, yeah, there's Dortmund and Wolfsburg are playing and um, Gladbach and Leverkusen uh, are, are both playing as well. So my guess is those will be the, the FS1, FS2 matches. Um, but I'm, I'm willing to throw some together for, for Friday afternoon if people are people are down to down – to uh, Yeah, I know at least – me, Conrad and me would both would both be interested. So all right, cool. We'll set something up. Um, so the rest of the of the matches from the weekend, um, Wolfsburg beat Augsburg uh, away two to one um, in <laughs> battle of the relegation. Go <laughs> from Paderborn played uh, a zero zero boring ass draw. Um, Hertha Berlin, uh, as mentioned, um, they beat Hoffenheim three uh, nothing in Hoffenheim. Gladbach beat Frankfurt uh, in Frankfurt three uh, nothing, and on Sunday morning Cologne and Mainz played a two two. Uh, did you guys watch the this match? Um, I, did, I did not see the Pepsi Cologne. Uh, it was great. It was. Actually, I did. Yeah, that game was awesome. It was. Yeah, it was hella fun. Um, we mentioned Bayern uh, Union Berlin uh, two nothing, and then um, today uh, Bayer Leverkusen beat Werder Bremen, um, who are probably going down uh, this year. And holy shit, man, Werder Bremen has been bad, considering it wasn't too long ago when, like, they actually won the fucking Bundesliga. Um, they it was a BFD when – sorry, go ahead, MJ. In the early 2000s, they were a perennial UEFA uh, Champions League contender. Yep. Like, they, they, were, they were getting top three on a regular basis. And it was a BFD when Josh Sargent signed there. I mean, that was – it's not yeah. just, oh, wow, you're playing in Germany. It's like, oh, my gosh, you're playing for Bremen. That's a really yeah. good team. And now it's a question of, is he even going to stay there next season? Right, right. Um, another – FC St. Pauli beat FC Nuremberg, uh, won nothing uh, yesterday. Uh, again, I mean, I watched that with, a few, with some people, um, like, at 8 o'clock at night. The match kicked off at 6.30, so I had to, like, um, delete FOTMOB from my phone so it didn't uh, update me on – all right, almost forgot to do it Saturday night, but I was having uh, I was having some socially distant drinks with uh, with Notch uh, over because he lives by me and uh, around his fireplace. And as I was walking home, I was like, "Oh shit, I gotta delete FOTMOB. Otherwise, I'm gonna like wake up in the morning on, on Sunday morning and like have the results in my in my phone." So luckily, I did that. And Can then you the, just the notifications, David. What's that? Can't you just silence the notifications? Yeah, I probably could, but then I'd probably just forget to turn them on. So I just delete FOTMOB and then I just reinstall FOTMOB. Um, anyways, yeah, it's easier that way. It's probably not easier. Speaking of Fat Mob, one of my big, 
I, I was having problems with BotMob because I hadn't used it in some so long and it wasn't working. So I uninstalled it, reinstalled it, and all my sorting went away. And I have a very, very specific, like, continental U.S., like, women first, then, then men's, and then ah. each, each by continent, uh, you know, uh, country, country teams first, then, then, then clubs, and, and all that sorting went away. So I finally decided to tie my Gmail to FOTMOB, which is, I hate tying it to any account, but uh, that, that ensures that that will follow me any, anywhere for, for new devices and what else not. So. Sure, sure, sure. So hopefully the last uh, time I have to do this sorting thing. <laughs> uh, and then the last match um, I, I want to chat a little bit about is uh, uh, Leipzig and uh, Freiburg. Um, Leipzig won, Freiburg won. Uh, Freiburg almost won this one at the death. Um, they had a goal that was ruled offsides, correctly ruled offsides. Um, but almost stole three points uh, with the draw and then with uh, Leverkusen um, winning. Uh, Leverkusen uh, leapfrogs, or yeah, sorry, Mönchengladbach winning. Mönchengladbach leapfrog Leipzig into third place. Um, and uh, Leverkusen, I think, moved within a point of, uh, of RB Leipzig for the fourth and final um, uh, UEFA or uh, Champions League spot for next year. But holy crap, did. Uh, talk about like spring training uh, or like preseason Leipzig looked like they were playing preseason. They had four or five sitters that they just absolutely, absolutely missed. So um, I know this is happening during the um, Dortmund Schalke match, but did you guys get a chance to catch this match at all? No, I've got it recorded though. So I'll probably uh, have to tune in. There's, there's at least three sitters that were probably about from like, from like less than six yards out that Leipzig just, just skied. It was uh, Wando-esque in terms of uh, its uh, their ability to put the ball <laughs> in the back of the net. So it shouldn't have even been close. Um, Freiburg almost almost stole three points in uh, uh, at Leipzig. So, but Wando's never cease. Wando never. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing that'll be fascinating is you know everyone is assuming that Bayern will go on and win their title, which I think I would agree with. Uh, you guys too. Yes, even though. I mean, there, there's room, right? There's room for Dortmund to catch up. They're, they're close, but and and that's the thing is that Bayern is is not far and away. They have not put this to bed at all. This is not. This Celtic. isn't like a Liverpool situ- Man City situation. <laughs> I wasn't even going to give David the uh, the justice there, but sure. Uh, yeah, the Liverpool or Celtic or whoever else. I won uh, or no, whoever won the Belgian league just absolutely put it to bed months ago but uh Bayern cannot look too far ahead I mean uh Leverkusen's playing really well Mönchengladbach's playing really well honestly I said it before and I believe it I think Dortmund's going to come out of the break uh, as well or better than any other team if they stumble there is a legit title race I mean the the Bundesliga is worth watching right now because it's, you know, it's European soccer. Hey, we all love that, but it's going to be a good run into the season. There are some really quality teams in the Bundesliga this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, to that effect, obviously Byron's got Frankfurt on uh, Saturday. That should be a victory for them. Um, uh, Dortmund has got uh, Wolfsburg. They should, probably should win that game. But then again, like literally like three days later on Tuesday, the 26th, Dortmund and Byron play. Um, in uh, in at uh, in Dortmund, so um, you know 
after that match, it could be a, a one point separates those two. Um, and then, you know, then it's really, honestly, it's game on at that point. So, uh, all right, cool. So let's, uh, let's talk MLS real quick. Um, and then we can we'll jump into K league. We have a, we have a very, a very sexy story about the K league, uh, that we discussed. Uh, you won't want to miss it. I'm sure you all, you all have, uh, have, have read the news today, but anyways, um, so a couple things about MLS, uh, they've announced, um, the long rumored uh youth league new youth league um it's gonna involve 91 uh, i've heard 91 i've heard 95 different clubs um all um mls clubs will be a part of it as well as five um uh usl clubs and then the rest of the teams will be made up by um develop uh, other youth development uh clubs uh around the country a lot of whom were playing in the the original um, DA, the Development Academy for U.S. Soccer. Uh, the biggest sort of news coming out of it is that it's going to be basically broken into two divisions. There's going to be the, the MLS plus USL division, um, which will uh, end. There'll be then there'll be a sort of a the other teams division, um, and then the other sort of big news is that it's going to be you know have the same sort of uh, levels as uh, the DA had the under 12, under 13, you know, all that. But the, the only teams that the MLS teams will be required to carry are U15 and U17 teams. So, for example, a team like Minnesota United, which they have been trying to get rid of their academy teams since they started their academy, can easily just, um, you know, get rid of all the other age groups. They really only had those groups because MLS dictated that they make those teams. And, and I'm not saying that MLS – that Mr. United specifically will immediately get rid of these teams, but it makes it a lot easier for them to say, you know what, we're just going to do the U15, U17, um, how they go about recruiting that. Um, I'm not a, uh, we had Christian uh, Fitchett on a few weeks ago and he talked a little bit more about youth soccer. He has a son um, who's involved in it. And there's other um, people involved in the Minnesota United uh, supporter community who can talk uh, a little bit more about the DA stuff. Um, and sort of what that means and what, you know, what it means to, to be in a youth soccer club. So I don't really want to expand on it here, but that's, uh, I mean, it's something that we kind of knew was going to happen. Um, it seems like a, on the face of it, based on what I know, like a bad idea uh, in terms of like getting more people and, you know, more kids engaged in soccer. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Do you guys have any immediate thoughts on, on this new youth league? I think one of the things that caught my eye was that Minnesota, the state of Minnesota, does have two teams in the league, Minnesota United, which we sort of knew, but then uh, Shattuck St. Mary yeah. also uh, has been promoted. Sure, we'll go with that. It's been promoted to uh, this new league setup. So that's, I don't know if that's necessarily a great sign, um, but it's certainly more teams than most of our surrounding states had. Um, Dakotas don't have any uh iowa does not have one wisconsin i don't believe has one but they may have one down in milwaukee so i wonder <clears throat> to what extent mls sees uh the midwest as kind of needing to filter into uh into one area i mean obviously chicago i think has three or four um yeah. but as opposed to hey we're going to put one in each of these states really forcing people to to travel and even live abroad um, I'm generally against this for one major reason, which is that it, it leads to the professionalization of youth kids, 
the kids themselves way, way too early. One of the things that we know from injury research uh, is that when kids pick one sport at a very, very early age, it drastically increases their likelihood of an injury. Um, in baseball, it's elbow injuries. In other sports, it tends to be knees or ankles. So the fact that we're going to say, okay, you know, from U5, U7, U9, whatever it is, you need to be 100% focused on soccer so that you can stay at this level because so few kids are going to be at that level. All of a sudden, the kid that was going to play soccer, play American football, run track, whatever, is now solely focused on soccer. And that's part of me thinks that that might be the purpose of this. So that you've got a kid who at 7, 9, 11 has demonstrated that they have the capacity to be a professional athlete. And instead of potentially losing that kid to baseball, basketball, football, hockey in Minnesota, not really in the rest of the country, soccer is trying to catch him young and force him and say, okay, you're professionalizing at five, seven, nine, whatever it is. And so now we've got you. We don't risk losing you. And yeah, I see where they're coming from on that, but long-term it's, it's risky. You're going to burn kids out. You're going to, you're going to tear some ACLs. And it could backfire in their face. You know, I mean, it could have the opposite effect of rather than grabbing kids young and keeping them, it could push more kids away, you know, and, you know, I, I would, I hope that 10 years from now, you still see, you know, high school athletes that are tri-sport athletes, quad sport athletes, you know, that that's still a thing, people lettering in multiple sports. Um, one, because variety is good for the, good for the, the kid, right? It's good for the mental and physical development of, of, of the student, but also just because uh, it exposes them to, to new friends and new experiences. And um, I, I don't know, it's, it, I, I think it'll be really, it's really sad to see this over-specialization. And then as Dan pointed out, all the overuse and injuries. I'll be interested to see if the talent in U.S. In the, the, and we'll measure this at the U.S. national youth team level. I wonder if we'll see more talent because, yeah, you get a kid who's 5'7'9", you've had him for those, all of those years. Or if we'll actually see less because the kids who would have joined an elite soccer team, uh, Mason Toy is actually a perfect example of this. Yeah. He, he did not grow up playing soccer. He's actually an elite level basketball player um, and very much could have gone professional in that in all likelihood. Um, you know, it's counterfactual history at this point. Uh, you know, in this youth setup, does Mason Toy ever go to play soccer, or does he just go? Well, I didn't start when I was five. I don't, and I'm not. I don't want to deal with all of these kids who've known each other and played with each other for years. Nuts to it. I'm going to go play basketball. So it'll be really interesting to see if this works, or if we see if we see it revert in five to 10 years because they actually find themselves with a shallower talent pool and not a deeper one. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and then the other big news uh, from MLS, uh, the Orlando plan, um, uh, if you was first reported on the WAP at the WAPO, the Washington post and uh, the athletic uh, earlier last week. Um, if you haven't uh, figured out sort of, or, see more about this it's basically they're gonna the idea is that they would bring all 26 teams to orlando um espn has a uh complex down there they would all hole up in one sort of resort area um they're estimating about it'd be about 12 to 1500 people total including all the hotel staff and um you know sort of bare bones team staff but that would include i think people like pr people and, and any of the uh, 
people they would bring down for social media and, and things like that. Basically, everybody would go and live in Orlando um, in the middle of the goddamn summer, uh, in the middle of fucking hurricane season in Orlando, Florida uh, for um, at least two months, potentially up to 10 weeks. Um, the idea was, is that right now, so right now, Emos gave the gave teams to go ahead to start doing individual training sessions outdoors at teams training facilities if they meet certain guidelines and the they are allowed to buy uh, and they, they are able to do that vis-a-vis the um, health authorities of those states. Now, obviously, California is in a much more uh, severe lockdown than most of the rest of the country, specifically, especially the Midwest. Like Midwest is like, oh, fuck it, we're, we're gonna do whatever. Um, most other states, Minnesota is, is now getting to that point. Um, but California, um, which has uh, four teams, four teams in California, San Jose, the two LA's. LA's. I think just the three. Just three. But most of the West Coast is, is, is in still like relatively, um, you know, secure lockdown. Um, so the LA teams aren't able to, to train um, at facilities. Um, San Jose is not able to do that. Minnesota has been able to, you know, striving their players come to go out to the Nessie and uh, do individual training. We saw some pictures and stuff. Um, so the idea here is that June 1st, everybody would fly or get into Orlando. Basically, you would live in Orlando for the next uh, two months, up to uh, up to 10 weeks, depending on how you did in their tournament. Um, every team would play generally the same amount of games, sort of like a five-game round-robin type uh, World Cup-style bracket, basically, um, where you play everybody in a group. Um, and then there'd be sort of a uh, a bracket. They haven't. There's. They have. They don't. They have not elaborated fully on what the plans will be, but some sort of like tournament um, style, so knockout style after the uh, first after the group stage games. The idea is that they're trying to keep as many. They're trying to have the teams play equal numbers of games. They don't want to have an uneven number of games, and then they're not 100 percent sure. At least no one has identified what they'll be playing for. Right? Is this just like a preseason, or are they actually playing for something? Whether that is money, um, or a con- they've talked about the Concacaf Champions League spot that normally would go to the U.S. Open Cup winner, um, potentially being on the line since the U.S. Open Cup is probably not going to be happening this year. Um, they've also there's also been rumors that talks about that this might <clears throat> you know go t- count towards the standings uh, in the once the the season is regularly uh, resumed. The idea being that they'd be in quarantine for you know these two months down in Florida play their games. Hopefully, ideally, there'd be no outbreaks. And then teams would be able to go back in um, September and play a, an abbreviated regular season, rest of the regular season, in their home stadium. So playing home and away, um, more than likely without fans. But the idea here is that it, 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 there's something – there's soccer going on. It's at the ESPN complex, so ESPN can broadcast it. Um, so players are playing – that they're, you know, the MLS is able to capitalize on a time when, you know, who knows, I mean, who knows if baseball is going to get going with all the, all the stuff that's going on there. So they might be the only sport that's happening at that point, uh, potentially an opportunity to capture some eyeballs um, with the idea that they're going to be able to start, hopefully play games. I mean, I think MLS is in their heads would love to be like in September playing in front of some fans. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think that's probably like their ultimate goal. Um, with the knowing that that's probably not going to happen, so that at least they could play some games in Minnesota and then um, you know 
stadiums across the country. So that is the what we what we know about sort of the this Orlando plan. What are your guys' immediate thoughts on that? It's I was initially very critical of trying to put every MLS team in one city and, and play in, in Orlando. Uh, I don't know if I was under this sort of assumption that they were all going to be playing in Orlando City SC's stadium or what have you, but I was just like, man, that's a lot of people in a very small area. Uh, reading the Washington Post, keep in mind the last time I was at Disney World in Orlando, Florida was 1985. You know, I was, I was very, very young. So I did not realize that there's this thing called the ESPN Wild World of Sports Park that is like the National Sports Center on steroids, um, 220 acres. Yeah, that was, it didn't exist when you went to uh, Orlando in 1985, MJ. No, it did not. So I, you know, it, and, and you would think with my uh, keeping track of the, the uh, consolidating of media companies and that, you know, Disney and ABC and a buying out ABC buys out ESPN and ABC ESPN joins with Disney through all that. I would know about this large park. This 220 acres doesn't include, you know, Walt Disney, Epcot, etc. You know, it's a separate thing mm-hmm. in central Florida. That's a, that's a large amount of space. That's now are all MLS teams going to be equally spread safely distanced on that 20, 20- 220 acres? No, most of it's sports fields and, you know, golf courses and, and training grounds and what else not. That's not going to be the habitat ring, but, you know, it's I, I feel a little bit better about it now. The whole point is that, so they, they're, they're talking about like the Coronado Resort, which can can hold like 1,500 people. So they'll, they'll all be at that resort. And then the, yeah. the fields are about 10 minutes away. So yes, I mean, they will all be like socially distanced on their fields that they're playing at and practicing and all that. I mean, the problem is like everybody is going to be in the same area, um, which you know, MLS has done in the past. Like, you remember MLS 1.0? Um, they all went down to fucking Florida together to do spring training every year, you know, preseason training every year. So, I'm still skeptical, but I, it's not the uh, cruise ship consolidation, uh, you know, density that I that I was initially thinking of. Sure, Dan. I'm still skeptical because of the uh, Kyle Walker effect. I don't think. Parties. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, in so many words, but yeah. I mean, um, Orlando, they have some pretty. Uh, I mean, the strippers there are. Uh, let's just call them double A strippers. Orlando's a double A town. <laughs> I uh, I don't even. I'm not touching that one. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. There's there's nowhere good that can go. Physically uh, or literally, Dan. Yeah, both. Um, <laughs> I uh, unlike MJ, I have been to Orlando since 1985. The last time I was there was uh, early 2017. I gotta say, Disney World holds up really well as an adult. I'm very surprised. I'm not gonna say my young nieces and nephews didn't enjoy it more than I did. They were having the time of their lives, but it was awesome. I, you know, I highly recommend. How high were you? Uh, I do not smoke weed. I'm the uh, the the sole teetotaler in that regard on this podcast. So um, uh, I, I was not high at all. Me too, but okay, I couldn't a, remember. That, that's yeah. Me and Bill smoking up for the both of you, so don't worry about that. <laughs> um, and it is, it is of course notoriously difficult to get a drink in Disney World, so I wasn't drunk either. Um, Epcot was an entirely different story. Yeah, I was gonna say. Okay. 
Epcot, Epcot's good times. Um, I moving moving on from things you can actually do to have fun in Orlando. Um, I, I'm still a little skeptical from a health side. Let's set that aside. We've rehashed that enough. I won't subject people to it again. I love this idea. I'm so for it because uh, one thing we talked about when this first broke at the, as we were recording last week's podcast. So thank you for, thank you MLS for the, the normalcy of always breaking news immediately during or immediately after we recorded the podcast. Yeah. Uh, the thing I love is that there are, there are so many teams in MLS that Minnesota United doesn't necessarily have any type of relationship with, you know, obviously we there's the antagonism with Portland just because we played some really close games. We've got the Dylan Wolpers Derby, um, which I love because the, the the Houston rivalry wouldn't really exist without the Dylan Wolpers Derby. Let's be honest. But there's a bunch of teams. Uh, the, the one that always pops to mind is is Columbus Crew. NYCFC is this way. It just doesn't like we want to beat them because we want Minnesota United to win. It doesn't really matter. With this tournament set up, all of a sudden you have a chance to develop a, instantaneously develop a rivalry against some random team. You know, maybe bad blood really erupts with FC Dallas or the Rapids. I guess that's already happened as David wakes yeah. up to every morning. Um, but, you know, there's this opportunity to, to get some hatred with some other teams. And, and I think that's really good and appropriate. Um, one thing we didn't talk about with the Bundesliga, and I think it deeply informs how far MLS will go and the rules that they will bend to ensure this happens, is the broadcast numbers in terms of viewership for the Bundesliga were up 728% this week. So there is clearly an appetite for soccer. There are eyeballs out there. And I think MLS knowing that they won't get gate this year or will have vastly diminished gate has to be looking at that, knowing that their contract negotiation uh, for their, excuse me, for their media contract is coming up very soon. And knowing if they can put up a number and show that there's an appetite in the U.S. for for this league, it can pay huge dividends down the line and maybe go a, a decent distance to uh, filling in some of the gaps that they'll have after this year. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this June 1st is only 14 days away <laughs> from, from right now. Um, it literally, it's literally two weeks from uh, – weeks from today so um you should hopefully get some clarity now obviously the the other sort of big thing that is holding all this up is that um mos we talked about it i think last week or the week before have proposed a a pretty drastic spending cut um, on player salaries um but you know leaving the players who are making under 100k alone um they mls actually came back and proposed to the union the mls uh, players association an actual just a 20 percent player salary cut um across the board so even players making the minimum salaries of like 70 65 70 thousand dollars a year would, would get a 20 percent cut um so that's you know that's a bargaining chip that the, the owners have the owners also uh, the cba that has was negotiated and the memorandum of understanding that had been sort of signed has still not been ratified by the players or the owners so both sort of uh sides have that as potential leverage as well and i think probably more so on the the owner side because the owners could just lock out the players and say fuck it we're just not gonna we're just gonna scrap the season and we're just not gonna lose a, a shit ton of money um so there's a lot of reasoning a lot of people smarter people smarter people than us are, are sort of you know 
say the, the players are kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place here. They kind of, they need to get that. I mean, that, that contract was, while not great, was um, much better than it has been in the past. Uh, the players association is making, they're starting to get some um, movement towards things that actually make sense for them. Uh, and, you know, scrapping um, gam, tam, lam, all that fun stuff. So lots of, lots of moving parts, lots of moving parts. You imagine with the old CBA, players being forced on uh, public airlines at this point oh, instead, yeah. of, instead of charter flights, like, boy, that introduces a whole new aspect of, you know, there's risk. That, like, as soon as you get uh, these players gathered together and for a game, there's going to be some level of risk, but it goes yeah. through the roof. If all of a sudden you're bringing players through an international airport on a normal flight, like it just introduces incredible chances for somebody to get sick and spread it to the entire team. Yeah. And I mean, that's the other thing too, is the, you know, the, the owners could come back and say, well, Hey, we're, we're, you know, we're not, unless we do this, we're going to go back and we're going to play under the old CBA rules. And that would bring up the precisely exactly what you're talking about, Dan. So um, who the hell knows? Uh, uh, MJ, will you, uh, will you take us through some K league results and then we'll, uh, we'll get yeah. to the sexy, sexy stuff at the very end. I like that order as well. So okay. uh, again, I'll, I'll try to give a little bit more than just me reading Fatma, but not too much. Uh, Sangju Sangmu, um, who I just found out. Uh, well, I just found out their their mascot is Bulsajo, and Bulsajo in Korean means phoenix, like this giant fiery bird. And the, uh, Sang Sangju Sangmu, if you remember from last week, they're the the Korean Armed Forces Club. So they, they come out of the Korean Military Academy. And that Phoenix used to be in their name. It's no longer officially in their name, but that's still their official mascot or nickname. So the the, the Phoenix beat Gangwang 2-0. Um, they shot off these, not really fireworks, but these really fireworks scale firecrackers, these very large, noisy fire firecrackers, both before the first half and before the second half to signal the start of the half um, with no fans. So, you know, I don't know if that's just a tradition at the stadium in uh, Sangju, but. Uh, no pyro, no party. Yeah, no pyro, no party. Uh, Kang Sang Woo uh, had a pretty weak penalty draw in, in the box where he was trying to use his, his back and his butt to shield the ball from a defender. And then as soon as the defender made contact, he went down pretty hard. Now, it was not a light tap. It was a pretty harsh, you know, the, the defender came on and, and, and hit him pretty hard. But he looked like he embellished a little bit. He got the call, and then he gets he, he uh, draws his own own name for the, for the penalty kick. And it pretty much stayed 1-0 for most of the game until there was a, a very late breakaway by uh, Moon Seon Min at, at the end. Um, again, using that youth uh, and that speed on the Korean Military Academy to just burst ahead and beat the goalkeeper one on one on no. Um, uh, Daegu drew Pohang Steelers one one. Um, this game was interesting for me for just how many non Koreans were on both teams. Uh, Daegu had a uh, Montenegrin by the name of Dayan Damjanovic and. Uh, the Poland Steelers had a Serbian by the name of 
Alexander Beliosevich, and uh, Degu had two Brazilians on the squad. Uh, there's a Pohang Steelers have a, a Colombian, Australian, and German on the squad. So a lot more uh, national diversity than you would normally see on, on two K League One squads. Um, surprise, surprise, all non-Koreans, whether starting or on the bench, got minutes. <laughs> all all non-Korean players were either started or got subbed in. So, but uh, yeah, that was one one one. Uh, Alexander uh, Pelosevic actually scored scored a, a beautiful goal, uh, getting service uh, kind of high high in the box and and putting in uh, you know it was service on the on the pitch. It was a goal on the pitch in crowded traffic, but it was a really beautiful goal to give the visitors the, the lead. But uh, uh, Daegu also ha had an amazing header to tie it. Um, Bill's team, Junbo Hyundai Motors, wins away um, at Busan uh, Epoch. Uh, really no surprise there other than all the VAR. Um, Busan Epoch twice went down in the box. Both times went to VAR. The first time was denied. The second time they gave him the, the penalty, but one goal wasn't enough for the table toppers, Junior Kanye Motors. Uh, Suwon Blue Wings, the Samsung team, they lose at home uh, two to three to Osan Hyundai. I call that an upset. Um, FC Seoul, which we will be talking about a lot in a little bit, uh, they win 1-0 at home versus Gwangju. Um, Han, uh, Han Chi-hee with just a Hassani Dotson level banger, you know, kind of gets the ball in the uh, high left corner and then uh, dribbles across to his right and then slots one, just a, a beautiful upper upper 90 uh banger to win for FC Seoul. And then Sangnam versus Incheon United, nil-nil. Um, nothing to see there. All right. And now that I've run out of the scores, there's some even more important, interesting news about FC Seoul. David. Yeah, so they had sex dolls in the stadium. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's fucking it. That's the news. Uh, that's the tweet right there. Um, so if you don't, if you didn't get this ESPN alert from somebody in your, uh, in your soccer network, um, you need to get better soccer fans in your network because this was all over the fucking place today. Uh, it was on ESPN. It was on vice. Um, basically what happened is that FC soul decided that they wanted to, uh, spice up the, the stands and, or they, you know, they said they want to have some, some pretty much some levity and, and they wanted to like have it in addition to some banners that had like pictures of fans, actually like they put some mannequins in the, the uh, in the stands. Um, however, the company that makes the mannequins gave them sex dolls. Now they've gone back and forth on whether that was intentional or not intentional. Um, they've apologized. I see so apologize. It was funny because you, if you, if you click on any, you, there's vice, uh, dot com has a really great uh, piece on it, and basically they actually have some tweets from some people showing the uh, the massive cleavage of uh, several of the uh, of the sex dolls. Um, all the all the mannequins, quote unquote, air quotes around mannequins, 
were female. Yes, that was the other thing. They were all women. Um, they're all like they had some really weird well, hand. Well, well endowed with long hair. Not all. See, not all of them were well endowed. I I, did, I checked out the pictures. Um, a lot of them were. <laughs> well a lot of them were very well endowed. Not all of them. Um, but they also the, the other funny thing was that like they were also wearing shirts that like promoted this uh this Korean this like sex doll uh, manufacturer, um, which is apparently illegal in Korea to to like have like X-rated websites, and they were promoting like an X-rated website as well um, so on they, some of the shirts. So, holding up signs, right? They were yeah, holding, holding up signs. signs. Some of the signs said FC Seoul or things about social distancing. They were football related or health related signs. And some of the signs or things on their shirt were promoting either this manufacturer's website or there was a local uh, porn site that was also getting thrown on there. Yeah. So, so that was, which is it's apparently illegal in Korea to, uh, to advertise, uh, x-rated websites like this so um i mean this was fucking brilliant and it was awesome and if you go look at, if you go check, like just google like the 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 vice um the vice uh story and you see like someone like literally tweeted a picture and like just drew a circle around this like one woman with like just massive tits uh of the, or, or mannequin with massive and you're like oh yeah that's definitely like where in like what realm and what world would you think oh yeah that's a regular that's like a regular mannequin that's not a a sex doll that is being uh used as a mannequin um anyways i think i just think it was fucking hilarious uh and there should be more of it i think mls um i mean they're gonna be in orlando the land of fake tits anyways they might as well like just go all in so that sort of brings up the question i have in my head which is what american team is the most likely to pull this off I mean, my thought, I, I respect Orlando City and the, or, or the Orlando Magic, either one. In my head, though, this is the Las Vegas Raiders. Like, if they can't, if they can't have fans when their new stadium in Vegas opens, I see no reason they won't load it down with sex dolls completely unapologetically. I mean, I could – Miami wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> um, either the Marlins or the Dolphins or Inter Miami. Um, That'd be the highest attended Marlins game in years. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, they they suck. <laughs> David, you remember when uh, Miami FC was the only NASL team to have like a cheerleader section? I do. Yeah, I almost forgot about that. Yeah. Anywho, my yeah, favorite. So, I mean, I think my quote from this um, as a city. Uh, Go ahead, MJ. My favorite quote from this whole mess was one fan uh, basically is, is quoted of saying, I don't know what to do now. I think I'm going to become a Seoul Eland fan now. And Seoul Eland is the K-League 2 team out of the capital city of Korea, so the South Korea's Seoul. So Seoul Eland's like the lower division team that they could go support. And, you know, basically looking to switch their fandom based on, on this act. And also for those that aren't familiar with East Asian culture, it is traditionally very more conservative or traditional when it comes to these sorts of things. Like their idea of being family friendly is like, like David said, these things are not allowed. You can get fined for having this stuff in, in, in your stadium. And, that's probably well known that they're those cultures are a little bit more patriarchal and more traditional gender roles and 
like these sorts of moral issues would be considered more taboo. What's maybe not known is that East Asian culture, and when I say that, I mean primarily I'm familiar with Chinese, Japanese, and, and, and Korean culture, that there's kind of almost this uh, bipolar issue when it comes to these sorts of taboo subjects of where it's okay as long as it's in private. And so in private, you can be as dirty or nasty as, as, as you want, but- okay. Some of the weirdest it, porn I've ever seen has been from, uh, from, right. South, from, from East Asia. Right. Like, that's weird, weird shit. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to judge anybody for, um, you know, they like getting like shit on or whatever, but like some of the weirdest shit I've ever seen has yeah, been, you know, has been, uh, is, is Kake for a reason, right? Yeah. Like that, but the important thing culture wise is that this is not something that you do or air in public. This is something in the privacy of your own home, you know, that, and you do not talk about it. You do not brag about it. You do not flaunt this. You do not advertise this. And so just throwing that in there as, as a cultural thing, why this might be even more scandalous in Korea than it would be in the United States or Austria or the UK, let's say. God, now I just want to see like some, I want to see like Robert Kraft, like just fill up uh, Gillette Stadium with uh, sex. <laughs> Uh, that'd be fucking awesome. Uh, all right. Is there anything, anything else you want to, we want to add on, on this, uh, amazing, amazing story. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's take a break. And then when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll talk about some other stuff and then we'll actually do our, our, our new favorite segment, loon sliding door. So, uh, we'll be back after the music. You want me to be that type of dude and I, won't you be who you like me to but we both know i can't do nothing at all uh and we're back uh one thing i will say that's very nice about having in-laws who live in madison to come visit you is that they uh they bring you new glarus uh pretty much every time they come up to visit and wollersheim uh wines so you do a hell of a lot worse than that. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to uh, power through the rest of the podcast here. First off, we're going to start with Minneapolis City News. Uh, MJ, why don't you hit us up with uh, the Minneapolis City News? Well, weeks ago, NPSL, the fourth division league that Minneapolis City plays in, canceled the entire season. But Minneapolis City was still looking at, depending on how – the data came in as far as COVID-19 still playing some games, you know, maybe in June, let's say they have now suspended all playing until July 15th. Um, they're kind of assuming that U S open cup will not happen. Although officially that's still an unknown. And so they're looking at possibly playing some friendlies, you know, but not until after July 15th. So they're de definitely in a wait and see mode with it being a very much possibility that they lose the whole season. And they announced, uh, that, and they announced that on a, a Twitch uh, chat that they did last Thursday. They did. Yeah, as well as they, they did an email to the season ticket holders earlier in the day, but um, yeah. Yeah, they did an email, I think, on Wednesday, and then they talked more about it in detail. Uh, if you follow them on Twitter, they uh, tweeted out a link to that, to that Twitch where you can go and rewatch it. 
if you're interested in the details. Center back uh, Jonah Garcia continues to play FIFA 20 in the uh, lower league E-Cup. Uh, he won the round of 16 this weekend. I believe Tuesday evening or Tuesday afternoon, he plays in the quarterfinals. So uh, he's a very good FIFA player. One of the interesting things for the video game nuts is they made this sort of adaptation to FIFA where all of your players basically have similar metrics. So you, you're not relying on Messi or, you know, your star players or what have you. All the players have similar speeds and similar ball handling skills, whatever. And it's more about your kind of tactics and your passing and, and, and your gameplay um, mm. to try to make it mostly about how good of a video game player you are, which I think is really interesting. So, okay. Um, they have um, May 30th, sign up for their curbside pickup for their store. As I've said before, they have the best kits in the state. And that May 30th sign up totally filled up. So they now have a June 5th sign up. Uh, you can sign up for a 15 minute increment that you will be there to pick up your uh, store purchases. It is mplscitysc.com. You guys see their new, uh, the US Open Cup kit that they released the yeah. goalkeeper kit it's a dazzle camo but it's all black i think it looks fly as hell it's, yeah it's black on dark gray with uh a pink summit beer sponsor logo on, on it and it's the goalkeeper kit um available now only on pre-order yeah minneapolis city does rock some of the some of the best uh um merch in the upper Midwest, uh, you know, they obviously Fort Madison's got a, a, a really a good a good spot there too. But um, so we're we're quite blessed up here in the uh, in the upper Midwest to have some um, uh, pretty cool opportunities to buy uh, cool soccer shit to wear. That's not just jerseys, but also the jerseys are fire as well. So um, one other thing I actually add that I didn't I didn't throw this in the notes, but uh, I saw I think it was Pablo Maurer on Twitter. Um, he uh, tweeted out a a email that he received from Atlanta from the Atlanta uh, press, like an Atlanta press release. So I don't know if you guys noticed that they won the EMLS cup uh, over the weekend, uh, whoever was playing for Atlanta, they won, they won the tournament and they sent out a press release that said um, Atlanta wins their fourth league title, their fourth championship or can we exactly what it was. Basically, like they were adding the EMLS cup as like this thing that they uh, were proud to win as a team um so yeah they won yeah because they won the open cup the campiones cup and uh mls cup so yeah so it was like the fourth like cup that they won and it was just like big jerk off motion um splooge all over your face sort of sort of thing so it would be remiss if we didn't shit on atlanta um at least once in the podcast so um all right so our we're gonna jump into our our very our newest favorite segment um loon sliding doors and uh this week we all oh we were, I was, we were kicking around some ideas i think one of the ideas uh we kicked around was bill's idea um about uh geo savarisi being uh our head coach instead of adrian heath i think maybe we'll save we'll save that one for next week when bill is back on the podcast um but we decided to talk about the um Minnesota united uh not fucking up the 2017 super draft um and by not fucking up, I mean not selecting Abu Dalati. Um, so what was at stake? Uh, so Minnesota, uh, they lost the coin toss in the draft of drafts. 
Um, so they did not get the first. So Atlanta picked the first first pick in the expansion draft. Minnesota got then picked the first pick in the super draft. And there was like some allocation order spots that were also on the line. Um, so basically Minnesota got the, had the first pick in the 2017 uh, super draft, which is a draft of collegiate players. Um, this took place in mid January, 2017. So, so the super draft is kind of a thing that is eventually I think going to go away in MLS probably within the next five years. I think um, they just won't have a draft. Most, you know, every other country in the world does not have a draft of players um, in their, in their soccer or football. Um, you know, this is obviously a, an American thing. We also, we have obviously put a value on getting college educations and all that. And more, you know, more and more kids are leaving college early. Um, more and more teams are developing their own players throughout their systems. So kids aren't even going to college. Um, and there's homegrown rights and things like that for kids who do go to college in some respects. So, um, this is a, I think the thing that will probably not exist in, in five years, if not sooner, but Minnesota had the first pick in the draft. Um, everyone, and I, when I say this, I mean literally everyone knew that Minnesota was going to take an attacker and a, a forward, and literally almost everyone assumed it would be Jeremy Abobise, um, who yeah. had a great season at Duke. Um, like every, like almost every mock draft that I was following, um, except for one, uh, one big caveat there had Abobise going to the Loons number one. Um, I'll say that the one is Ivis Galarsep, uh, who has done a bunch of writing for different places, um, runs uh, his uh, Soccer by Ives uh, website. Um, he, is, he, he is the only one who I saw who had Abu Dunladi going to Minnesota. And he was, he was insistent upon it, like almost like in spite of the fact that everybody else in the soccer world was basically like, oh yeah, Jeremy Abobise is going to Minnesota, number one. Abobise, number one. Abobise, number one. And then Ivis Kulars just basically like doubled and tripled down no, it's Dunlady, it's Dunlady, it's Dunlady, it's always going to be Dunlady. And he was proven correct. And then he went around telling a lot of people on Twitter about that after after the fact. Is, <laughs> don't be humble about your shit. Um, anyways, so that was that was the uh, that was the the draft. Um, obviously, we took Abu Dunlady, um, and then I'll sort of just reel off a few of the of the or sort of like the top eight um, after after Dunlady. It was Miles Robinson. Um, a defender who went second to Atlanta. Jonathan Lewis, a forward, went to NYCFC. Uh, the aforementioned OBC fell all the way to fourth to Portland. Um, Lawless Abubakar, a uh, defender, went to Colorado. Um, Minnesota boy Jackson Ewell went uh, uh, fifth to – or sorry, sixth to um, uh, San Jose. Uh, Jake Nerwins was a defender. Uh, he went to Vancouver seventh. And then Julian Gressel, who won the Rookie of the Year in MLS that year, a midfielder went to Atlanta eighth. Um, that was a pick that was secured in a trade um, that Atlanta had made uh, earlier in the year. So um, that's sort of uh, sort of how things went. Um, I'll throw on a few other things. Um, other notable picks in that draft: Jacory Hayes uh, went eighteenth to FC Dallas. Um, a couple of sort of fun facts: Minnesota was the first player to pick a goalkeeper in the draft. Um, it was the 23rd overall pick, uh, the first pick in the second round. Do you guys remember who that goalkeeper was and that we made that we picked in the in the first uh, the second round of the of the draft? Was his name Alex? Close, Alex. Alec. 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 Ah. Alec Farrell. Alec Farrell, a goalkeeper from Wake Forest. 
Not a uh, not a great use of that pick. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, the uh, the first pass of the draft. So again, this is why I think that the draft is eventually going to go away. Is that if you don't want to pick somebody, you just say pass, and then you forfeit the, all the rest of your picks. So RSL uh, was the first team that passed in the draft, and they passed uh, the fifty seventh overall pick. It was a thirteenth pick in the third round. Um, they passed that round and then I was lo- just looking at the draft just to sort of go over some stuff and they actually had uh, another like a pick earlier in the fourth round um that they had purchased that they had got as part of a trade with Chicago that because they passed in the third round they automatically forfeited that pick as well so like <laughs> they traded a player for nothing um which is a, a fun a fun thing about the MLS so that was the first pass and then if uh sort of the other um interesting player that was in this draft so this actually was a, a the, the draft is not the um best sort of allocator of talent in in soccer um as we have clearly seen this this draft actually was particularly good um for most drafts um we had you know there's in that top eight of players there's you know five four or five fairly decent players um that went in that top eight um Jacory hayes has been serviceable for fc dallas um, and then the uh, 77th overall pick, the 11th pick in the fourth round was one Jack Elliott, who's been a pretty successful player as well. So um, the 2017 draft actually, um, Jack Elliott went to the Philadelphia Union and, and has played uh, uh, played thir- almost, I think, 30 games in that first year. He, had, he was injured in, in his second year, but then has bounced back and played pretty well for Philadelphia Union. Um, so yeah, so this is, a, this is actually a fairly um, productive draft, all things considered. So... With that said, um, what happens if Minnesota does not pick Abu Dunlady? And I'm just going to sort of we're gonna leave it out there. You can sort of like extrapolate to your heart's content. Um, MJ, why don't you go first? What uh, what do you think happens? What do you wish happens? All that, all that good stuff. Yeah, I'm going to break this down in, into different categories. What I wish happened because. I love a Minnesota connection and those that have listened to my podcast, this podcast and listened to me banter at, at different soccer bars throughout the years know that I really like following Minnesota connections. I wish they would have picked midfielder Jackson. You will, because he's from Minnesota and I thought he had a lot of a huge high, a really high ceiling. Um, so that's what I wished happened. Considering that they were looking for a, not just a midfielder, but, most likely a striker or forward. What their their probably second choice was Jeremy Bobasi. I do not know why that wasn't their first choice, but that probably was their second choice. And in hindsight, who they needed was probably Miles Robinson at, at central defense instead of the Dean Demidoff. So that, 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 that's that's how I I, I break it down. Honestly, as we go, you know, if we look five years from now, we'll look back at the beginning of the franchise. I think this draft is going to go down as one of the real black eyes in the franchise. Um, this is as bad. That draft was as big a failure as any horrible game we had in the 2017-2018 seasons. When you look at the, the drafts around it, 2014, 2015, 2016, and then again, 2018, it's hard to find talent at the top of the MLS draft. It's a, a little bit more like baseball in that way, where just because somebody goes in the top five picks doesn't mean that they're going to be totally excellent. But that 2017 draft is just 
absolutely stocked with talent. I mean, Miles Robinson has proven himself out. Julian Gressel's been fantastic. Jackson Neal was is well on his way to being a U.S. men's national team fixture. Abobasi's grown really well in Portland. Abubakar is really good at the back in the back line for Columbus Crew. When you're really talking about like feature players and all going in the top ten picks, and then you have Dunlady. Uh, so I went back and watched uh, one of his games uh, when he was playing for UCLA. And when he's healthy, man, you can see it. You can see what Minnesota United saw in terms of his explosiveness. And we even saw it for that, uh, was it a three or four game run in 17, where he was just tearing up defense. I mean, he, I guess it was 18 that he uh, scored against Atlanta and just absolutely. That was, that was 2017. Was it 17? Yeah. Uh, it started with that Montreal game. And yeah, he went on like a, a six-game run that like catapulted him into the um, rookie of the year conversation. He finished second to Julian Gressel. Um, you know, you're right, Dan. I think that was the whole point is that he was very he was like just this when he's on his game, um, this like firecracker, like he can do a lot of really great shit. The problem was he was always hurt, even right at UCLA. Right. I mean, and that was the that was the whole thing. It was like if you could keep him healthy. He was going to be fantastic, but that was the big if. And there was just no plan for keeping him healthy, which I think is the the big failure of that, was they took this incredibly talented player with a, this big downside with no plan for mitigating the downside. Um, you know, Minnesota only had two recognized forwards on the roster, so it isn't as though if they took a Bobasi that it all of a sudden has this big-time roster impact and, you know, so, so-and-so doesn't make it or whatever. Um the interesting thing to me is that Abobasi is the type of player now with Portland that we see working with Diego Valeri in much the same way that I think we could have seen him working with Christian Ramirez. His off-the-ball movement is excellent. He opens up a lot more space. And so I think if Minnesota takes Abobasi instead of Dunlady, I suspect Ramirez is still with the team. Um, I suspect Angelo Rodriguez never darkens the door of Minnesota United. Uh now, the, the flip side of that is we have no Luisa Maria because that old knock-on effect hasn't happened. Um, and I think the team is still completely rotten in 17. Um, you know, they, they needed help in the back line. I guess the, the question I have looking at this, so let's say Minnesota, with the benefit of hindsight, does take Miles Robinson. Uh, and they, they have a great central defender, a guy who, who has proven himself to be a phenomenal pro, even though he's still very young. We have seen Adrian Heath not really love using his draft picks until he's forced to. Do you guys really think, even with Robinson on the dra- on the roster, that he starts ahead of Demidov? Or do we see five games of Vladim Demidov and, uh, and we still end up scrambling, go get Michael? I suppose that's the thing. If you take Michael Robinson, or uh, yeah, if you take Robinson, does the team go get Michael Boxall? Right. He has he does, so Dalmati started over Ramirez in the, the in the first match of the season. I think people forget that Ramirez scored the first goal, but Ramirez was subbed on subbed on for Dalmati uh, that first uh, match of the year. So if what? it's if it's Heath's guy, then I think you know he maybe gets. I'm not sure he gets to start over uh, over Demidoff. Or Calvo. Right Johan Venegas started up top. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Venegas. Um, but Delati was always on the depth chart ahead of Ramirez in, in Adrian Heath's eyes when he was healthy. Yeah, because he was his guy. Yeah. So I think – so 
Yes. So the question is like we. So I think Demidoff still starts. I think Demidoff and Calvo still start. Um, but you're right. I think we we just you know if if it's Miles Robinson, he gets thrown into the under into the fire, and um, you know he's the question. You know, and I think MJ has a has a point here about this, and we can t- maybe talk about this in a second after I sort of game this out myself. Is like what is like what's the Adrian Heath factor here, right? Right. Uh, I think yeah. they took Dunlady because Adrian Heath. I think this was for all intents and purposes, an Adrian Heath pick. It was like, here's a guy that I can mold. I can, he's young. Um, Cause he, I think John Lottie's only, was only 19. Maybe he's maybe 20. Um, so he was young. Here's a guy that we can take. And if we can, if he can just stay healthy, uh, he could be a generational striker, someone that we could potentially sell on um, uh, later. He's a generation Adidas player, um, which obviously certainly helps the, like Julian Gressel was not. Julian Gressel took an international spot. Um, I don't believe Dunlady did. I think Dunlady had his green card at that point, or did he not? Dunlady was in the top five of a lot of mock drive drafts. Not not first, but he was top yeah, five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, I'm not. What I'm saying is like I'm not saying that this. Like so, I think the, the thing to think about here is that this like Dunlady. Yes, like people had. There was at least one person had Dunlady going to Minnesota. Um, everybody had Dunlady going in the top five. Everybody knew, like what I think we all saw in 2017 when he wasn't hurt, was that the guy could, like, totally change a game. Like that shot against Montreal, that absolute banger that he had, um, like the half volley was fucking amazing. That goal against Atlanta, um, it was that was actually I remember that because that was the same day as. Um, we, we beat Atlanta down in Atlanta it was the same day as the Yankees twins uh, uh, wild card game. So we went to the wild minds to watch that and to watch the, the Minnesota United match. And so we had like the big screen at, at wild minds. There was like, it was the dark clouds watch party. So there was like 25 or 30 of us. We had the big screen and everybody came in like expecting to watch the twins game. And we were like, we were all watching a soccer match and they, they had the twins game on like two, like two like tiny little TVs. And that, so like we saw the twins go up and then, um, and then basically Dunlady scores that goal, like the 30 of us just fucking erupt. And that is like basically when um, New York like takes, like takes the lead back and then like proceeds to beat the shit out of the twins. So everybody like looks at us like, why are we cheering? And, you know, Dunlady just scored a fucking banger of a goal to beat Atlanta in Atlanta. So he definitely had like, he had the, um, you know, the, the pedigree and the chops um, but yeah, he just was, he was a, he was an injury concern. So, you know, you guys all sort of had kind of talked around all these guys. Um, I mean, I really thought Ebobise would have been the pick and um, I'm not sure Ebobise. So, you know, I think Ebobise would have been the next logical. So you take Dinali out of it. Um, Abu Dinali does not exist. I think Ebobise is probably uh, the next person on Minnesota's draft board. Um, I don't necessarily think that it's uh you know, guarantees that Christian um, would still be here. Um, I think it actually maybe expedites Christian's uh, exodus, but I think having a a solid starter at forward that Heath can rely on, they don't necessarily maybe go. I, I don't think they get Rodriguez. I think they maybe you know think about doing somebody else. Um, you know, they maybe. I don't know. It's just, it's weird. 
it's a weird thing. I, I really think, you know, honestly, if we're, if we're going back and actually doing this draft again, um, Miles Robinson or um, Julian Gressel are probably the, the two, two picks that Minnesota should make. Um, but also I can, you know, you can sell me on, on Jackson. Ewell. I think Jackson Ewell is, is under, underutilized in San Jose based on the system that Matias Almeida likes to play. I think he actually would, would fit well in Minnesota. So, but I guess the, the ultimate question, MJ, something that you brought up is um, like, if Adrian, since Adrian Heath's our coach, like, what does, that, does that even matter? Like what's the, do any I can't remember actually, who it was. We, are they the same people? Yeah. I, I can't remember which one of you was, but I, I want to say it was Bill. Maybe it was David who said that, if Julian Gressel would have come to Minnesota, Heath would have ruined him, you know, and that got me thinking about kind of extrapolating that to other players like Jackson Ewell under Heath versus uh, uh, Matisse Almedia and uh, Abobasi under Heath instead of Gio Savarese. Um, a, a Julian Gressel, if you want to go attacking player, or Miles Robinson, you know, under Heath instead of a Tata Martino, you know. And how much did the head coaches kind of help shape their first year successes? Um, you also look at maybe the, the teammates and the quality of teams surrounding those rookie players coming out of the super draft versus what Minnesota United had and what kind of years would they have had in Minnesota, not just under Heath, but with the, 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 Ross, you know the ba- the Basham Kadri and and Johan Venegas and 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 Vadim Demidov that we were throwing out there and um, yeah I'm kind of cherry picking the worst of the worst but that that's uh I think both of those like teammates and coach need to be examined. Well, I think it's a, there's an interesting impact too of what those guys do subsequently. I mean, we've been really focused on the 2017 season, but let's say you've got Miles Robinson back there as a central defender, let's say the team does go get Michael Boxall, do they then go get Ike Opara? Probably not, actually. Right. So all of a sudden, the 19 defense now looks much, much worse. Um, even if it was better in 17 and 18, it's then worse in 19. Um, if you've got Jackson Ewell, they probably don't go get uh, Jan Gregush, or if they get Gregush, they're not getting Ozzy Alonso. So it's a, there's a really interesting knock-on effect because those guys are long-term talents, and I think we can all agree that they're better than Don Lotti today um, and probably going forward. I don't, I don't blame Adrian Heath much for how Don Lottie's career has progressed. Um, he's, just, he's been injured too often to, to make that kind of assertion. But the way the 19 team thrived and the players it relied on that's almost precluded by the existence of a Miles Robinson and Jackson Yule, almost anybody, honestly, except for a Bobasi. So I think if we're talking about an ideal outcome, I think the, I think United has to suffer through 17 and 18 as just a miserable defensive team, but let uh, Jeremy Abobasi learn how to find space and, and, um, you know, Heath does have that reputation as a striker whisperer and we can debate whether or not that's, warranted or not but i'd be really interested to see him with a young forward that can stay on the field and that's a bobacy in a way that dunlady just never was i can't hear you dad i can't hear you so uh i i kind of i mean i understand what you're saying i, I disagree i think if, if um I'm, I'm, I'm what you're saying in terms of like extrapolating and like who comes in and who doesn't come in that's probably correct 
Um, I mean, do we have to be the worst fucking defense ever in the history of MLS for two straight years? Um, no. And if we're not, and if we're not, so like, I go Parra and, and Ozzy Alonso and Yangus were, were fantastic um, signings <clears throat> and really, and obviously like repaired the team in ways like we can't even talk about. Um, however, that's they they were they they were basically like gigantic uh gauzes on gigantic ga- gashing wounds of that were just <laughs> gashing you know gushing blood everywhere right um and we put like we put a shit ton of, of bandages on it and it worked um if we don't have that if we don't have gigantic gaping wounds with blood gushing out of them um maybe we make other uh Play, uh, you know, we, we might move at other spots that help us um, on the margins as well. Um, I don't, I don't think, you know, the success in 2019 is, is, is precluded by, you know, Miles Robinson being in the lineup from day one um, or Jackson Ewell uh, or, or somebody else other than a forward uh, from that first traffic. I mean, Danny, I think you hit the nail on the head that, so Minnesota has actually gotten a fairly good rep at drafting. Um, mostly because of Mason Toy and Hassani Dotson and, you know, the, the, the drafts after this draft. This draft was absolutely fucking terrible. Um, none of the players made I – mean, I mean, obviously, Abu Dhabi had a, a fairly large impact. He scored, a, you know, a fair amount of goals for um, a player who, you know, what, played maybe a third of the matches that 11, – 11 goals in 67 games is his Minnesota yeah. United tally. Which is, like, not terrible – um, it's not great for a forward, but like if you, you know, if that was like a decent midfielder or um, so, yeah, so he's, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't like a, a I, I'm trying to think of a baseball analogy of, of, the, of, the, of the like first row, like first overall pick that just totally. Dewan Brazelton. Dewan Brazelton. Great. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great example. Um, y- so, Yancy Brazoban would be another. Uh... <laughs> yeah. He was like, so he was a, you know, Dunlady was a, I would almost say like um, Mark Pryor esque, right? Like he had like moments of brilliance, but then just like fizzled out. And then obviously, you know, was it made available in the expansion draft? And, and Nashville picked him up. He was subbed on and immediately got hurt. Um, and exactly proving the point that um, Minnesota was right to to let him go. But I think that is is going to be, you know, if there is a black eye. And and that's the other thing is like you know they we keep everybody keeps talking about, and especially the Minnesota front office people. Adrian Heath is a, is a striker whisperer. He's a striker whisperer. He's a striker whisperer. Um, the one fucking job he had in striker whispering was Abu Nilati, and they jettisoned him three years after, uh, you know, with three years of, of Adrian Heath. So uh, I think it's an interesting it, that you know this one. This is an interesting one. I mean, I don't know. Again, I I don't think. Uh, um, Obviously, you know, a lot, all these players are still, or most of these players are still in the league, or at least the ones, the good ones, the ones we talked about. And I think, again, going back, like, this is a, a particularly loaded draft, um, as you mentioned, Dan. Like, there's hasn't been a, uh, a really a, a draft like this uh, in a while. And I don't think, again, I, as I mentioned at the top of this, I think we're getting rid of the, of the super draft sooner rather than later. So, um, so yeah, we'll see a, a completely different, a completely different model. So, Anyways, um, you guys have any, anything, any last uh, comments or things to add on that? I'll just – my last thing I'll say is that 
Abu Damati was one through five in most mock drafts, and Julian Gressel was 12th through 15th in, in most mock drafts. Yeah. And, you know, you can kind of see the reasoning. You know, he's from Germany. Maybe people didn't get a lot, a lot of chance to see him. He takes up an international spot. Um, a lot of maybe downsides to, to Julian Gressel. But in hindsight, boy, was that underrated. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Gressel, I mean, if you go back and, like, did a redraft of this, Minnesota would take Gressel first overall in a heartbeat. So. And, and it makes Atlanta's trading, you know, uh, Donnie, Donnie Toya, you know, Atlanta trading Donnie Toya to Orlando City for the eighth, eighth overall pick. So that they had essentially two, not just first round picks, but two early round picks yeah. in second and eighth. Wait. It makes that look really genius. Orlando City fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sh- I am shocked. I will have no words for the rest of the podcast for how shocked I am. Yeah. All right. So next time on the Loon Sliding Doors, we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, sort of the the elephant in the room. Um, what if we had brought on Gio Savarisi instead of Adrian Heath? Um, that was a thing that many, many Loons fans, um, myself included, were beating the, the drum for really hard. Um, we really, really liked Gio Savarese, even though we hated him because he managed the, the Cosmos uh, and they kept beating us. But a lot of us were really on board for Gio Savarese, not so much for Adrian Heath. And um, what would happen if Minnesota, if, if uh, Dr. McGuire hadn't been a cheapskate and um, just paid the Cosmos some money for Gio Savarese? So let's... So we'll think about that. Think about that. Uh, people listening, uh, if you have any questions about that or if you have any thoughts about what Minnesota United might look like, um, well, let us know. And then uh, next time when we have Bill back on the podcast, we're going to talk about, you know, having Gio Sabrisi as a coach instead of uh, Adrian Heath. All right. Uh, that brings us to uh, our second to last segment, uh, Once a Loon. This time we have uh, a very short-lived loon, uh, Mohamed Saeed. Um, MJ, why don't you tell us about Mohamed Saeed? Uh, I'm going to ask both of you, how many games did Mohamed Saeed play for the Loons in in a little bit? You think about it. You dwell on that that idea. Listeners, you dwell on, can you remember how many games Mohamed Saeed played for for the bonus question? How many games was he in the the 18, you know, in the game day 18? Anyway, uh, his parents immigrated to Sweden as refugees from the uh, uh, Erta or Eritrea, as they say in England, uh, the Eritrea Independence War. And uh, he initially played for two clubs uh, close to his hometown in Sweden, a third division, BK Forward, and then, uh, uh, let me see if I can pronounce this right, Urebru, Urebru, SK. Urbru plays in the uh, Alsvenskan, uh, the top league in Sweden. And then he went to the Columbus crew, um, played 50 games for them, scored some goals. Um, and then we get him in not the super draft that we just talked about of 2017, but the expansion draft of, of 2017. And I really like that pick. Uh, how many games do you think he played for Minnesota United in 2017? Dan? Uh, I actually was looking up something else and saw the answer to this, so I'll let uh, I'll let Zeller go first. 
Uh, it couldn't have been more than five, so I'm gonna say it was probably three or four. Dan, if you would have, can you guess what can you like project what your guess would have been? My my guess would have been five. Yeah. Uh, okay. So he played for three games. Three three games. Good job, David. Um, he was rostered for four, so he was on the. He was what's that? He was rostered for four. I was gonna say he's only in the eighteen for yeah for I say four or five. Okay. So 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 he he that awful uh, opening loss to Atlanta United. Yeah. Uh, is that our first game in twenty seventeen? No, uh, the loss to Portland. Portland, yeah. sorry, away at Portland. You know, uh, six to one, then five one Atlanta. Anywho, he was in those two games playing two different positions. <laughs> he went from playing a a central midfielder to being a left wing. And then uh, then when we went away to Colorado where we drew, he wasn't he was in the eighteen, but he didn't start. And then he How's came, that game. And then we played, I can't remember who it was. Uh, but you know our our third loss of of the season out of our, our, our four games, he played in that game and played center midfield, but on the other side where the first time he played on the left and now he's on the right or what have you. Uh, and then he was traded. He was traded uh, with Josh Gatt and one international spot to Colorado Rapids for Sam Cronin and Mark Birch because uh, we needed more defensive-minded people, and Josh Gatt, and... Yeah. We had and just given up, like, 20 goals in five games, so I think we're pretty pretty <laughs> fucking spot on and needing some defensive help. Josh Gatt is actually interesting. Remember when we signed Josh Gatt? I was really fucking excited that we had Yeah, I was too. Yeah. I um, was not, but that's just me. Well, former, U- former U.S. international Josh, Josh yeah, Gatt. Let's, international. Uh, put some respect on his name. Dude, you, before he blew out his knee, was fast as fuck. Um... And I was very, very excited about the signing of Josh Gatt. He never played for Minnesota. <laughs> he never dressed for Minnesota. He never played in the game. Um, but, yeah, was included in that trade. Too. And I don't even think he played for – oh, yeah, he did play a few matches for Colorado. But it was, it was like, it was minimal. So, anyways, continue. So, the, at the peak of, of Mo Saeed's career is – Six games. He played six games in 2018 with uh, uh, Lingby, and Lingby is in the n- a north suburb of of Copenhagen, Copenhagen, Denmark, and so that's the Danish Premier League, which is really good, you know. Uh, but he only played six games with them, and then now he's playing for IK Sirius in the Allsvenskan in the top. Sweden. he's kind of come home. Um, it's a team that's based in Uppsala, uh, population 168,000. So it's not that big. Uh, trivia, it ends up being like for the Swedish national church. It's kind of the seat of, up, Uppsala is kind of the, the seat of, of a big Swedish, you know, religious uh, community. But, um, and he's he's not starting in the Allsvenskan games. He gets starts in the uh, Svenska um, Masakapet, which is their their cup their cup competition. So 
he's he's getting starts there. He's coming off the bench in in league, and uh, he's pretty active on on Twitter and other social media. Ever so often, I'll ask him questions about UEFA Champions League. He knows European football really well. He watches it at the top level, and uh, in the three games that I watched him, he struck me as one of the few players on that Minnesota United starting roster before Adrian Heath realized that his picks were worse than some of the NASL people that got, you know, I mean, Ibsen didn't play in that, in that first, I don't know how many games, you know, Miguel Ibarra and Christian Ramirez were both subbed on, um, you know, Brent Coleman was a late, you know, realization of like, Oh, he's a better starter than, you know, who we have at center back. So, uh, you know, he was one of those guys who I really liked the way he played. I really liked uh, his his vision. He looked like he knew what the fuck he was doing. And I also really like that he's active on social media. Uh, any any takes for you guys on Mo Saeed? I had forgotten that uh, he was taking corners for us before Ibsen hit the lineup full-time. He took seven corners in that uh, loss to Atlanta. Wow. MJ, you should ask I'm sorry, he took nine corners. That's my bad. <laughs> you should ask him if he wants to be on the podcast. Um, yeah, I, I can, I can, uh, I can reach out on that. On that. Um, yeah, I, I do. I, my biggest memory of Mohamed Zaid is that he was traded with Josh Gap to to Colorado for Mark Birch and, Mark Birch and Sam Cronin. So, um, anyway, are you guys are you guys familiar with the MLS conspiracy about that trade? No. There is an actual conspiracy theory that the league forced Colorado to make that trade because they were afraid that Minnesota would be so bad defensively that it would damage the league as a whole. Like there are, there are MLS trade truthers who firmly believe, because I mean, it was a very lopsided trade as good as Mel Saeed was uh, and Josh Gatt wasn't Sam Birch and or Birch and Cronin, Mark Birch, Sam Cronin. I was like, that doesn't sound right. Uh, were fantastic for Minnesota United. I mean, both of them were absolutely outstanding until uh, until injury set in for both of them. So because that trade was so lopsided and, and our front office moves to that point had been so checkered at best, there is a conspiracy that the league forced the Rapids to make that trade. I had not heard that before. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I don't believe a lot <laughs> of conspiracies. I'm not a, I don't have a cork board with string in the basement. And I'll look for black helicopters. But uh, I'm tempted to buy this one, not because I think it's actually true, just because I, I kind of want it to be true. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I, I like a good conspiracy uh, as much as the next guy. Um, is it maybe that uh, – that I guess maybe actually the conspiracy here should be is that um, – uh, that Manny Lagos had something on Pablo Mastroani, um, <laughs> some dirty pictures or something, because, yeah, we got Eric Miller for Sam Nicholson the next year, or was it? Yeah, the, the next year we traded with Colorado and got Eric Miller. Um, so, I guess I, that, that, that was kind of more of a wash than, than the, the first trade, but. I can, I can at least see Sam Nicholson and see what another team would see in him. And Eric Miller, for I mean, he was exactly what Minnesota United needed, is not a make-or-break player. Uh, so that one, to me, that falls in the realm of, of normal trade. But, yeah, this one, you know, there's, a, there's an X-Files episode about this one. 
All right. Well, that's uh, well, that's good. All right. Um, so, what do you guys got? What do you What are you doing to survive the the uh, the Rona? MJ, why don't you start? Now is a really good time, even though businesses are open, retail businesses are open again, but I would still claim now is a really good time to find Craigslist or Facebook marketplace deals on things. Um, I found a Cuisinart 10 inch skillet for 22 bucks, probably valued at, it's a copper bottom and that's only sold in a, a full set, but this skillet was probably 40, 40 to $50 on its own. And I found it for 22 bucks. Um, and uh, since I've never owned a stainless steel, um, anything that didn't have plastic handles, meaning it can't go in the oven, um, you can't take it from the from the stovetop directly and put it in the oven. I'm really really excited about this. So um, black art, black market, copper. Yeah, you uh, you know gently used, uh, gently used uh, items that you may find useful. Um, the same dude was selling some jazz CDs. So I, I got some, some Miles Davis and some Dave Brubeck, but, uh, also in a similar vein, watching, uh, Bon Appetit YouTube videos, uh, they're out of New York city. They're fairly entertaining about food. Uh, the two that series that I really liked out of them, they have a handcrafted series about basically where all the cuts from meat come from. So they have someone who, you know, butchers a half of a cow and first breaks the half the cow into like large, large chunks and then breaks those large chunks into the cuts you would see at your meat market or your grocery store. And uh, the one that I just watched that was really fascinating was a Japanese guy using very specific Japanese knives breaking down tuna um, and him breaking down a, a full big eye tuna. Um, oh, wow. the, the other series that I really like is they have a gourmet series by, uh, I believe her name is Claire Saffitz, um, up and coming celebrity chef, um, where she takes junk food or like food that you would buy in the grocery store and tries to gourmet it and make it from scratch. So things like Ruffles potato chips or Hot Pocket <laughs> or pizza rolls or tater tots the most recent one i watched was tater tots and her trying to get the texture and the size and and the consistency of that correct um and then, and then shares the recipe with you i mean shares hey you can do this at home you know whether you find this is worth your time and money and, and effort to 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 make these at home versus just buying um the stuff but um if you are someone that is wary of things like preservatives or you're really big foodie engineer that loves making stuff from scratch check it out excellent dan uh last weekend as we talked about on uh, last week's pod was scav uh, which was a blast uh it, it sort of i don't know it was a little bit hard right like it, you're getting like one percent of an activity in and uh it's good. You, you're glad for the one percent. You sort of miss the other ninety nine of like actually seeing people in in person and doing stuff. But uh, that was a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, this week, uh, in addition to of course Bundesliga, uh, another canceled event that has moved online uh, is a uh, there's a big folk dance weekend 
uh, that I do not, uh, I don't dance. We're not getting into that. I grew up Baptist, so there's no way I can dance. Mm. Uh, uh, but my wife is heavily involved in the community, and so that'll that'll move online. So we'll do uh, do a bunch of that. There's a a scotch tasting that we'll do in one fashion or another. To- hasn't totally been uh, decided out how we're participating, but it's a good it's a good excuse to buy a good bottle of scotch, and, uh, and uh, yeah. you know you you usually share it around, but we'll hoard it this year. <laughs> uh, and then uh, a little bit similar to MJ, uh, I've been watching uh, Good Eats. Like the old version, not the reboot. The the 1998, 99, 2000. We're in season three uh, with Alton Brown. And it's just a great way to learn more about food. I mean, he has recipes and it is a cooking show, but it's just a great way to understand, you know, why, why certain techniques are done with certain meats or how best to do knife cuts on tomatoes. And it's just it's good for like baseline education. It's also incredibly entertaining. And if you're doing something else and you know, you miss like 5% of the episode, you don't really feel all that bad about it. So I highly recommend looking up uh, old good eats episodes. Cool. Um, I'm still, I'm doing TikTok videos. So that's, uh, that's where I'm at in my life. A 30, almost 38 year old man doing TikTok videos. So that's cool. Um, I have like, four people that follow me now on tiktok so good times um otherwise yeah i you know honestly like getting getting together to watch soccer um whether that was uh online or socially distance uh like i did this weekend that was the things that i was really um excited about so i know uh with you know the social distancing or, you know, the orders that, you know, the, or the um, guidelines for the state are changing and, you know, businesses like bars and restaurants are going to start opening up um, in June. Um, I know places like the black Heart will probably be opening for things like Bundesliga and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned way back beginning of the podcast, Dan, like you do forget like that it's as much as I love soccer, it really is about like the people that I watch soccer with that I really care about. And that I, that's like the reason why I care about this so much. Like I love baseball. I mean, baseball is probably my first love, um, but I can go watch a baseball game by myself. And I, I actually prefer to watch baseball games by myself. Right. Like when me and my wife go watch baseball games, she like just sits and I love my wife to death, but she just like talks to me the entire time. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up. I just want to watch baseball. Um, Trying to calculate win probability. Yeah. <laughs> with soccer, it really is about like, the people that, you know, whether it's in the stadium, the people that we always stand, you know, near um, where we stand in the, in the Wonderwall or if it's an away game, um, being able to bounce around and talk to different people at, at Blackheart um, or just the pregame stuff. Like it really is about the, the community and stuff and the people that, um, that I've, that we've, you know, community that, that I've, you know, built for myself, but also like just the community that the people that around me and all the supporters have built. So um, that is something that is like really going to keep me motivated to make sure I'm doing the, all the right things and all that. So, um, all right. Our shit on uh, the crib section. Uh, back you know, with a vengeance. Yeah. Back with a vengeance. Uh, Andy Schutz showed up on our, on our zoom chat on Saturday and he showed us his tiny wiener. And uh, I'm just going to say Andy, Andy Schultz at the cribs on Twitter has a tiny wiener. <laughs> Um, dog <laughs> yeah i mean that's it he's got he a tiny schnauzer beard. but you know whatever or a tiny schnauzer whatever tiny schnauzer, oh, tiny schnauzer and, and and i have to say it was way smaller than i thought it was gonna be 
Yeah, it was very cute. It was a very cute tiny schnauzer. Um, so. Yep. He also had a later Hosen t-shirt on, which is not a thing that I knew that people owned. <laughs> he did. It was also. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. He was wearing a, a felt hat too, and he it looked great. Yes, like, yes. I, I can't. I can't shit on that. But that Actually, I just turned into a, a appreciate Andy Schlitz. Uh <laughs> Yeah, fuck you and your tiny schnauzer uh, in the cribs. All right, uh, three quick questions on uh, on the answers part. Um, so Eric asks, what can you do to improve the aesthetics of the game with no fans? Do you think there's an ethical dilemma of piped-in crowd noise? Um, so we kind of alluded to this uh, when we talked about Bundesliga. Is there something? I mean, does piped-in crowd noise make sense? Is it ethical? I don't think it's not ethical. But um, anyways, what are you guys' thoughts? I don't have an ethical. Go for it, MJ. The only place that I really, really am glad they did it is I listened to very irregularly um, the – Wow, I'm blanking on the. I'm. I listened to uh, the quiz show on NPR. Very. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Yeah, wait, 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 don't tell me. Thank you. And uh, they have started to, uh, because they're not in front of a live audience anymore. You know, full disclaimer: this is the crowd noise from the Grand Ole Opry from this Dolly Parton concert, or like they, but. I find that very helpful to fill in these kind of gaps that I'm normally used to hearing on that radio show. But in live sports, I don't like it. Yeah, this isn't a, an ethical or moral thing to me, unless you see, <laughs> we get into a situation where some team is tripling the volume of their piped in cloud, crowd noise during uh, like opposing free kicks or something like that. Um, not that the Minnesota Twins would ever do anything like that at the Metrodome with the air conditioners. <laughs> that definitely didn't happen in the mid-90s. Um, sure, sure not. So, I mean, but attacking that first bit, what can we do to improve the atmosphere? Um, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't know that there's a lot you can do. I think we just have to... Sex dolls. Do what? More sex dolls. Yeah, yeah, that's... Right, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't be. Uh, it shouldn't be as sexist. We need a fifty-fifty split. Oh yeah, uh, no, no. Like it should be dudes ramming it, ramming lady mannequins. Like dude mannequins ra- <laughs> like ramming lady mannequins. Like. <laughs> oh, so you're 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 talking about positioning. Yeah. Like, uh, you've you spent way more time thinking about this than. Oh, this is all I think should. about, buddy. <laughs> all I think about. Um. Yeah, I mean, absent absent that, which would probably go over better in Germany than it did in, in South Korea, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I think we just have to sort of look at this and, and absorb it for what it is, that this is like an extremely rare, Lord willing, occurrence, and it's just kind of, it's going to be what it's going to be, and, and learn to pay attention to things like, hey, what player, what calls are players doing, you know? When, when players are yelling at the refs, you can hear exactly what they're saying. So pay attention to that. Pay attention to the ball, the thud of the ball. And, and we'll just hope that this isn't a, a permanent state of affairs. And if it is, if all of a sudden that becomes, you know, oh, there, you know, and no vaccine was ever found. And, all right. Well, then we'll sort of cross that bridge when we come to it. But oh, I we're think, all going to die at that point then. Well, yeah, exactly. And on, honestly, at that point, I would bet stadiums open for fans because nihilism will beset the whole world. Yeah. Um, if I'm going to die, dying at Allianz is not a terrible way to go. 
Uh, <laughs> Die doing what you love, Dan. Oh, I should run the pitch then. That's true. That's yeah. true. I can fight Bartolomeo Bartolo, Bartolo Toledo. Yeah, I'm going to be in a three-way with some sex mannequins. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll just say, I don't, I, again, I, I agree with Dan. I don't think there's anything we can do, um, again, outside of, like, my super awesome idea of sex mannequins, maybe sex robots. So maybe, like, like doing actual sex during a match. Um, I don't want Boston Dynamics anywhere near this. That'd just be terrifying. I mean, why not? Like, just, just go to town. Um, but, uh, outside of that, I mean, honestly, like, again, I watch a lot of, uh, World Cup matches that involve the, like, U-17s and U-21s and U-23s or, or sorry, U-20s, so I've watched a lot of fucking matches with nobody in the crowd, and it's fine, like, what they do is they really just, like, they ramp down the sound of the stuff that's happening in the stadium, so, like, the, the ball, it, you don't hear it as much, like, it was very, very, very evident uh, in the Bundesliga matches, like, like as we talked about, the ball kicking and, like, how hard it was hit and all that. You can turn that down um, and just not make that as, as loud as it, as it possibly is in the, in the broadcast. The other thing I think that you could potentially see would just be some – I know this, like, the NFL has talked about, like – and I don't know – like, the piping in is, is maybe not the right word because I don't know if you're actually going to pipe it in through – the stadium speakers, or would it just be something you layer on the broadcast, like as another track over, like underneath what the announcers are doing? Like you could do that. The problem with the the, the crowd noise in with anything is like, you know, you definitely it ramps up as you see the play developing, right? You see uh, a, a corner, and then you see a great outlet pass, uh, and it breaks on, and you hear the crowd. I think this is something that we'll, that we miss. Like you actually hear the crowd sort of like building and building and building and building, and then you know Mo Salah makes a great pass, Robert, you know Roberto Firmino, and then he you know he passes on to um, Sadio Mane, and then he puts the ball in the back of the net. Um, <laughs> that that whole thing happening, but I think that is what you're going to miss. And so like I don't think you can necessarily outside just pump, like pumping in or putting in a track of just like ambient crowd noise. I think that you know, we'll generally hit the, the note most of the time, but you're not, you're going to miss that the really important part of like the buildup is what is the most important thing. And I don't think you can, you certainly, you definitely cannot replicate that with pumped in crowd noise. So um, I don't think there's an ethical dilemma of piped in crowd noise. I just think it's something that most soccer um, broadcasters are just aren't going to do, and especially not Fox sports with Bundesliga since they are losing the rights at the, at the end of the year. It's like, they're not, they, you see over the weekend, like they put in literally zero effort on promoting those games uh, or letting anybody know that they were happening or doing any sort of pre and post game. And they still had like, like Bonzo ratings. So go figure. All right. Um, Rodrigo asked us to rate the goal celebrations uh, in the Bundesliga. Um, does anybody want to take this? I didn't, I wasn't really paying attention to the goal celebrations. I know, uh, Hearth, is, Hearth is dead ass last, yeah. obviously. Because they, they were all jumping on each other and all that. So, uh, Yeah, they're really struggling with this because that was also uh, Solomon Kalou's club. Yeah. With him uh, I did hugging notice, people and whatever. I did specifically notice, like, watching the Berlin – or the Bayern uh, uh, Union match, um, like, when Lewandowski scored his goal, like, definitely, like, everybody was going around and doing, like, the elbow taps and all that. So, like – you know, 
outside of Hertha, most of the clubs are taking it very seriously to, to be separated and all that. Um, can't remember which one, who was the, who, which guy like scored the goal. I scored the penalty and like, like went and did like the one man dance and like called like shush all of his, all of his uh, uh, teammates away. Which one was oh, that? Uh, I think that was in the Cologne game. Oh yes. Cologne. Yes. 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 So that was good. That was uh, er- Erling Holland's like, Stand in a circle and pretend he's a, in a bubble with all of his teammates six feet away. I thought so, that one was was pretty good. Uh, yeah, I mean they were they were pretty solid, with the exception of Hertha, who I think sh- should be relegated. I mean, that's not a good club. It's like they have so they have so many issues. Just put them put them out of my misery, and uh, I don't know, leave Paderborn up. <laughs> I think. Munchen um, Gladbach had one where they would raise their one goal scorer would would raise their arms in an X, their forearms in an X, and then a, a, the person who passed in the ball would also put their arms in an X, and it looked like the person who passed the ball was like gonna try to do a forearm bump, and then the goal s- scorer like pulled his arms away, like like they got close to touching, but. Mm. The, the goal scorer definitely wanted to not have any any physical contact, and so he kind of peeled peeled away before the guy could actually. You know, he just wanted like he thought it was cool that his teammate was doing the same X as he was, and then you know they were coming in as if to chest bump or in this case forearm bump, and like so I mean, that was the one I liked. Cool. All right. So yeah, we'll see. We'll uh, keep an eye on the goal celebrations, uh, and then finally, uh, our our friend Bill asks. Uh, Bundesliga keepers and the viruses they most look like. <laughs> I'm gonna need a week on that one. I was gonna say, like, let's uh, let's save that one. We'll throw that one in the uh, in the in the uh, Google Doc for next week. Um, I, I really I, we need to have Bill in there to answer that one. It's his <laughs> question. He definitely has to bring the bring the thunder on that one. So I don't All know right. if he uh, if he looks like it, but the Schalke keeper definitely has brain worms. Based on uh, a couple of those distributions that turned into goals within about six seconds. Yeah, something, man. Yeah, those were those were particularly bad. So, um, all right. As always, uh, you guys can rate and review us um, wherever you get fine podcasts, particularly on Apple. I was looking at Stitcher the other. Uh, we're actually at Apple um, and Stitcher. Maybe two weeks ago, we haven't had a review since like 2018 or something like that. So. Uh, please rate and review us. Uh, Davesandno.com. I'm actually writing for that stupid goddamn website again. I wrote a 2100 word Bundesliga team finder. Um, so if you are if you are still looking for a Bundesliga team, I gave uh, many many reasons why you should support a particular team. Um, I think my, it's my a good favorite, read. What's that? It's a good read. Retweet that motherfucker. Yeah, I think my favorite one was was Mainz, and I was like Mainz, meh. <laughs> um, no one should support mines. Uh, anyways, uh, you can always uh, support us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Dave's. I know at TDIKMN on Twitter. Uh, Dan is at DWade. I'm at Texas Eller. MJ is at MJ Matsui. And Bill um, is at Bill underscore McGuire. Um, please rate, follow us, uh, and keep pay attention. We're going to we'll throw out the, uh, the link for or a sign up for the um, watch parties for Friday and Saturday. So, all right. Um, Dan, MJ, thank you. Um, thanks for participating. MJ, your, your murder den still looks like a murder den, so that's good. Uh, put that fixture back on the, on the, on the light. And uh, thanks for listening, guys. We have been the Dave Gino. This is the Dave. Now, what we have got.
try and work it out Cause we both know we can't do nothing at As you do yours, land here, become fecund. Yeah, uh, we, we do yeah. our thing, son. Through the act, we attract two, hope to reach one. Uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing, do it. We do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be done. We, we, we do our thing, son. Y'all, son, 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 son. I can't nothing at all. Y'all know we can't do